11 years ago, Toby Keith's Who's Your Daddy? Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show from a secret location on a special night and a special time. This will be the second to last show we have for the year 2013. Before I begin, I want to tell everybody about our upcoming schedule because things are going to be a little bit different. At least different for a short time, then back to the same. Because it's at the end of the year and I have some things to do with the family and all that, uh, I'm not going to be able to do this show every week for the remainder of December. The way it's going to go is that the next show after this one, this show is taking place on Friday, December 6th at 8 p.m. The next show will be on December 16th, 10 days from now, on a Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific time, of course. After that, no more shows for 2013. December 16th, which is also a special night, Monday night, will be our last show of the year. We will return on our normal Tuesday schedule in 2014, the very first Tuesday of 2014. That will be Tuesday, January 7th at 7 p.m. After that, we will be back on every week on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. So don't worry, this show is not going down to once every two weeks. We're not going to have a lot of weeks off. It's just this month this is happening. So again... Second to last show of 2013 is what you're listening to right now. The last one will be Monday, December 16th at 7 p.m. The next one after that will be 
22 days later, January 7th, 2014. For those of you that have uh, counted on this show every week to get you through the day at the office or the grind at the poker table or whatever, I apologize that I will not be able to bring you the show every week this month. But as you've seen, I'm pretty good about getting here once a week usually. And even if I can't make it on a Tuesday, I find a way to get here another day, just like this week where I could not make Tuesday. And here we are on Friday. So... Uh, Friday night is going to have some advantages and disadvantages. The disadvantages, I know a lot of people like to have this during the week, especially like the next day after the broadcast so they can listen at work. And you'll have to wait till Monday to listen if that's the case for you. Also, some people go out Friday night and they don't want to sit home and listen to a podcast live. But some advantages are, number one, most of you probably don't have to work tomorrow. So you can stay up late, even if you're not on the east coast, even if you're not on the west coast, even if you're on the east coast, or even in Europe. Uh, at least it's Friday night. And the other advantage is we might be able to reach Ken Scaler because Ken Scaler is with Stephanie tonight, and that means I can call him instead of waiting for him to call me. So there is a free roll tonight, a $135 free roll, thanks to primarily the generosity of Belly Buster. Now, Belly Buster not only has donated to a number of these free rolls, he does something generous every week, and that is he runs the poker room. The no-fraud online poker room where the free roll takes place is not run off my computer or my server. It's run off his server. He volunteers this. He actually even paid for the software. This is something he's doing for us at Poker Fraud Alert, and we appreciate that. And then on top of that, he donates money sometimes. So tonight, he just said, hey, I'll throw $100 to the free roll. So... Here is the breakdown of the donations. $100 from Belly Buster, $25 from Hotshot74, $5 from Dirty Ernie, and $5 from Sensi Crease. Also appreciate the donations from the other three guys as well. The prize pool, the way it breaks down, first place will be $70, second place $30, third place $20, Fourth place, $10. Fifth place, $5. You have a good shot to cash tonight because we always have a smaller pool of players on our non-Tuesday shows because there's a lot of people who just either don't realize the show's night has changed or they cannot make it. So you'll have a good shot to cash tonight since we only have, I don't know how many are in the free roll, but when I looked there was like 23. There will probably be more than that by the time it goes. But uh, five places pay, top being $70. Pretty good for a free roll with a small pool. Uh, pool of players, that is. One piece of bad news for you, perhaps, is if you're a No Limit Hold'em expert, you may not like tonight's free roll. Tonight's free roll is PLO, Pot Limit Omaha. We change the games every so often to just change things up. Next week, we'll probably be back to No Limit Hold'em. And the time of the tournament, in case you're wondering, is 8.40. Usually, we start the show at 7, or thereabouts, and the tournament starts at 7.40. This week, since we're starting at 8 o'clock, the tournament will be at 8.40 Pacific Time, the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. And you need a free account on the Poker Room itself, not on the forum, but a free account on the Poker Room itself, to play in the tournament, but you don't need anything to play. You don't need play chips. You just need an account and then just sit down. You do need an account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum if you wish to qualify for the free money. That account has to be dated January 1st, 2013. If it is not dated January 1st, 2013, or before, it doesn't have to be that date, it can be before also, 
then you will have to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and tell me how long you've been listening, tell me how long you have been reading the forum, tell me some things that you have either seen on the forum or heard on this show that are not in the description of the show. I want to make sure you've been around for at least a few weeks before I give you permission to win the free money. And the free money, by the way, it is real free cash money. I will send you cash on PayPal. I will send you a check. I will send you a bank transfer. I'll even send you cash in an envelope, though I can't guarantee it'll get there. This is not one of these stupid free rolls where you win money on a site that you really don't want to have the money, nor is it a site where you may never get the money off. This is real money you will get very quickly after winning. Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money than any poker podcast in the world in our free rolls. Some have pointed to a certain other site claiming that they've given away more, but that's not true. Their free roll is actually part of a poker site, not part of their radio show. So as far as free rolls that are directly associated with radio shows having to do with poker, we've given away more money of any poker radio show in the world. Well, let me tell you my situation tonight, because uh, I don't know if you can already notice. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I had a dental procedure yesterday, and uh, it was funny. After the procedure, after the Novocaine wore off, I was okay, and nothing really hurt that much. But today, it actually was hurting a good deal, so I had to take a Vicodin, which I'm sure probably excites Josie if she's listening to this. But I got a prescription for 20 Norcos, actually, and I took one earlier, and it just wore off as the show was starting, so I just took one again as the show was getting underway. These usually don't affect me too much. Uh, I, I tend to take them pretty well, and they actually do take away the pain. Uh, the one thing is, it does make me a little bit confused, and a little bit slower. So, if I'm not quite myself tonight, you know why. Also, I have not tested what it would be like with this uh, pain in my mouth with talking for a few hours straight, so if I start to hurt, I will have to quit. So just warning you about that as well. But I am doing the show. In fact, I I drove over 300 miles yesterday after getting this done. So not only did I do a long drive, but now I'm doing a long radio show. So here's the agenda tonight for this show. And by the way, if anybody wants to co-host with me, you're welcome. You can just uh, give me a call or find me on... You'll need to do it on Skype. I don't want to do it through the phone. Because when you do it through the phone, it doesn't sound very good. I want the host to sound good. I don't want them to sound like callers into a radio show. Anyway, uh, here's the agenda for tonight. Poker Fraud Alert has been snubbed in the Bluff Awards. Bluff Magazine gives out yearly awards in different categories in poker. I was hoping we would get nominated for Best Poker Podcast, especially because two people work at Bluff, who I believe, at least, like this show. One being Seriously Serious and one being KevMath. Well, guess what? Not only did we get snubbed, but KevMath was blamed for this. And then not only that, but after that whole thing seemed to pass by, there was a snub article on Bluff written by KevMath himself, and we got snubbed again in the snub article. I'm not even kidding. Snubbing all over the place in the Bluff Awards. So I'll talk about that a little bit. 
On the positive side, Adam Schwartz, one of the two hosts of the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast, which did not get snubbed by the Bluff Awards, he revealed something about what his favorite poker podcast was. In fact, the only one he listens to. I'm going to play that. You'll find it interesting, I think. Poker by Proxy, remember them? I talked about them last week and their scam of having you send them money or bitcoins and them claiming they're going to go play poker for you and send you whatever money they make, <laughs> even though you can't watch them play or knew who they are. You know, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, not surprisingly, yes, it was a scam and they stole all the money and disappeared. I'll explain a little bit more about what happened. I'll explain about uh, their excuse for a few days while they were getting ready to disappear completely and some good work done by Haley Hints in possibly tracking down who's really behind that so maybe we will find out who are the scammers behind Poker by Proxy and see if we can publicly shame them or worse speaking of public shame Lonnie Harwood remember her? remember towards the end of the World Series of Poker in 2013 she just came out of nowhere and just owned everyone? She won an event, and not the ladies' event. She won a regular open event in No Limit Hold'em. Uh, she made it very far in another event. Uh, she just seemed to be killing it, starting kind of towards the end of this, the series. No one had heard of her before, but she was definitely the hottest player towards the end of the series in 2013. She didn't cash in the main event, but going into that, there's nobody hotter. Uh, well, a little bit of a scandal surrounding her. Her boyfriend told someone that he lets her use his account and uh, on Full Tilt and Poker Stars. She's an American player. Well, the person who was told this went and tweeted it to the public. And then, after he tweeted it to the public, someone, either Lonnie or her boyfriend, or both got very mad at this guy and told him to take down the tweet. So the guy took down the tweet, but then that in itself caused a scandal. So the question is, is this really a big deal? And I'll talk about that. Well, a poker pro in Atlantic City, or at least someone who calls himself a poker pro, he ha- he does have some caches to his name. He had a really weird experience at the Atlantic City airport where he was robbed, or attempted to be robbed, not once, but twice. Back to back. And escaped both of them, according to his stories. I'll talk about what happened there, and I'll give you my opinion as to what I think was going on. There's a player named Flapjack1270 who used to play on UB, and he did really well in the PLO games there. A lot of people didn't respect his game very much. A lot of people thought he sucked, but despite that, he won a lot of money. And a guy posted on 2 Plus 2 recently that not only is the guy behind Flapjack1270, whose name is Dan Harner, not only is he a scammer, but also maybe he was a super user. I will read the accusation. I will give you my take on the situation. Well, a lot of people don't like the Rio. The Rio is where the World Series of Poker takes place during the summer here in Las Vegas. A lot of people don't care for the Rio very much. I think the Rio actually gets worse of a rap than it deserves, though some of it is deserved. You have to you have to kind of know and understand the Rio to be able to survive there. But someone who apparently could not survive there was country music star Natalie Maines. In fact, the Toby Keith song I played at the beginning of this show was in dishonor, not in honor, but in dishonor of Natalie Maines, who was an enemy of Toby Keith's, 
around uh, 2003. I don't like Natalie Maines one bit, and she doesn't like the Rio one bit. She publicly tweeted bashing the Rio, and I'll talk about what she wrote and how I feel about it. Well, something new that's been happening, not really in poker, but uh, just in the world, not even just the U.S., are cold call scammers. Cold call scammers are scammers who call people up, just cold, people who they don't really know, just call random phone numbers, with some kind of story as to why you need to pay them money. They usually claim to represent some company. Uh, Sometimes they claim that... uh, they work for Microsoft, and they've identified a virus on your computer, and that if uh, you pay them $40 or whatever they're asking for, that they will get the virus off your computer. Uh, sometimes they call up pretending to be the phone company or the electric company, saying that they're going to shut off your service if you don't pay them right now. Well, one of our members, Hutmaster, got a call. He runs a pizza business in California. He got a call related to his pizza business that he owes... The electric company money is about to be shut off, but it turned out it was one of those scammers. In fact, it was the wrong electric company calling him. (laughs) So it wasn't even the real company, of course, but the person didn't identify the company properly. We're going to try to call that person tonight, because as of last week, that number still worked. Something I've been doing recently on this show, and I think I'm going to do, I wouldn't say every week, but I'll try to do as much as I can is let you get to know me a little bit better from a personal standpoint. A lot of you have listened to me every week for years, and you know a lot about my opinions of scammers in poker. You know I play Limit Hold'em. You know a lot of things about me. You know know a lot of facts about me, but how much do you really know about my personal life? You know I have a kid. You know that I have a girlfriend who's the mother of that kid. You know, some things like that, but how much do you know about my personal life? I, I've told a few stories, and I've decided, you know what, towards the end of the show, I'm going to try to tell a story from my past that is amusing, so you can get to know me a little bit better, at least the old me. So tonight, the story is going to be called The Cum Shot Heard Round the World. You've heard of The Shot Heard Round the World, right? The home run that destroyed the Dodgers back in the 50s. This is the cum shot heard around the world. Ken Scaler's single act of masturbation in 1992. As you've heard, Ken Scaler likes to masturbate, and as many of you, I'm sure, do too. But he really liked to. (laughs) But anyway, he masturbated in a particular instance in 1992 that coincidentally ruined a promising relationship for me two years later. I'm not even kidding. Two years later, a complete coincidence, I had what looked like a very promising relationship ruined by Ken Scaler inadvertently because he masturbated in a certain situation two years before that. Pretty incredible story, actually, and I'll tell it. And of course, after I tell the story, I will try to call Ken Scaler with Stephanie and get his take on the whole thing. I have a lot of weird things like that in my life. A lot of weird coincidences. Like, I'm not going to go into that whole story right now, but uh, another really strange coincidence I had in my life was in 93, I had a one-night stand with a girl. And, you know, typical one-night stand. It wasn't uh, anything 
that interesting by itself. But the girl didn't live anywhere close to me. She lived about 50 miles away from me. And I didn't really know anyone else living by her, anyone related to her, or anything like that. A lot of you are aware of my ex-girlfriend, Miri, who I was with for many years until about 2009. Miri and I realized that the girl I had the one-night stand with in 93 was her boyfriend at the time's first cousin. So even though Miri and I did not know each other in 93, even though we did not live anywhere near each other, we lived more than 50 miles apart, had no way to know each other. I had sex with her then-boyfriend's first cousin, which is was crazy. I could not believe it when that when we realized that. I was just like telling her that story from the past and the house I was describing the girl lived at was kind of unusual. And she said, hey, I've been at a house like that. And we realized, yeah. Of all things, it was the first cousin of her boyfriend at that time. So weird things like that happen. Weird coincidences happen in my life all the time. So I'm going to tell you guys about another one tonight. Finally, Bitcoins. Every week we seem to be following the Bitcoins and it's an interesting story. Right now, as I speak, Bitcoins are trading at $814, which is down from the high of 1200 about two days ago, and way down from even today when it was over 1100 Maybe it was yesterday. It was very recently over 1100 I think within the last 24 hours. Anyway, we'll talk about what has been happening with Bitcoin, why it may have crashed like this, and I'm going to give an investment strategy in Bitcoin that I have not tried, but I might try. Something I think would work from what I've been observing. And if anybody else wants to chime in regarding the Bitcoin, when we have that segment, you're welcome to call in. I know there's some very passionate people regarding Bitcoin on both sides of the fence. Some people hate Bitcoin, some people love it, Some people just find it fascinating but don't really hate or love it. But uh, people are welcome to call in at that point and give your points of view on this. I will admit I'm not a Bitcoin expert, but I have been following the whole thing. I don't own any Bitcoins at the moment. But I might, especially given the strategy I came up with, which, at least from what I've been observing, had I been doing that so far, it it would have worked out. So that'll be toward the end of the show. So, let's get going here. If you want to contact me, the phone numbers are 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, is our Mount Charleston phone number. We have a phone number sitting on top of Mount Charleston, where it's got to be really cold, because it's pretty damn cold in Vegas right now. Vegas is in the 30s at the moment. It'll be in the 20s later on tonight. But Mount Charleston's got to be really cold right now. It's a mountain that sits high atop Vegas. And we have an old 70s telephone there that forwards to wherever I am. So 702-430-1808 is that phone number. And 775-FRAUD-55 is the phone number, our main phone number, to reach me. You have to always show your caller ID no matter what phone number you call by dialing star 82 beforehand. Also, you can communicate with me in the chat room, which I will not be able to read every comment there, 
because I'm trying to do a show and I'm by myself, but I will try to look at it as much as possible. And those are the ways that you can contact me. By the way, hockey guy, I see in chat, he's, he didn't say fuck you, Druff, which is good. But he wrote, it's minus 35 here right now. But then he wrote, it's minus 35 degrees Celsius. Celsius? See, I like Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr, who's also Canadian. I met him during the summer. He's a nice guy. He actually came to my room in the summer. Uh, we hung out some. He even did one of the shows here with Brandon when Brandon came up with him. Um, he... Bobby Orr said it's 30 degrees Fahrenheit in Toronto. See, this is a U.S. broadcast. I know we have a lot of international listeners, and that's great. I love our international listeners. But this is a U.S. broadcast. Don't come on my chat room and talk about Celsius. There you go. Minus 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Here's a little bit of interesting trivia for you. Minus 40 is the same whether it's Celsius or Fahrenheit. That's where they meet each other. So if you say it's minus 40, you don't have to give Fahrenheit or Celsius. It's the same. So as you can see, 32 and 35 are almost the same. So it's minus 32 degrees Fahrenheit where Hockey Guy is right now. I wonder where he is. I think he's in, like, somewhere near Edmonton or something. But wow, minus 32 is brutal. Uh, I know the whole West is very cold right now. And even though minus 32 is pretty brutal, Fairbanks, Alaska will sometimes get as low as minus 60 during the winter. And at least once, usually every winter, it gets to minus 50. But yeah, when you have temperatures like minus 32, you have to really change the whole way you live. You have to do things like plug in your car so various fluids inside of it don't freeze. You need really, really good insulation on your house, for obvious reasons. You're facing a frostbite danger if you go out and stay out there for too long. Minus 32, that's just a whole different level of cold, and I've never felt that before. The coldest I've ever been in was in Mammoth, California, Mammoth Lakes, California, in, uh, I think it was 1988. They had a cold spell there where the high was 5, and the low, I think, was minus 20, somewhere around there. I wasn't outside during the low temperature, but I was out there when it was probably like minus 10 and windy. And boy, it was pretty brutal. In fact, it was so cold there, it, even in Mammoth, where they're used to very cold temperatures, most places were not equipped for that type of cold. Like the restaurant we ate in was like 50 degrees when we were eating in there because they just could not heat it up enough. Speaking of cold, there's a chance that tomorrow there will be snow in the Los Angeles area. I was going to say Vegas, but it looks like the storm's not going to make it here. But in the L.A. area, not downtown L.A., but certain cooler areas of L.A. may get snow tomorrow. So watch for that. The last time they had any kind of real snow in the L.A. area was in 89 when there was a snow, a few inches fell in the San Fernando Valley. So enough with the weather talk. Let's get on to the topics. Poker Fraud Alert was snubbed in the Bluff Awards, and I know someone's going to say, why is this the top story? Why are the Bluff Awards the top story? Not because I feel like making the top story. It's not the most important story, but it's the top story. It's the first story we're going to do. 
So five poker podcasts were nominated for the Reader's Choice Awards And Poker Fraud Alert Radio was not one of them Now keep in mind we have over 1,000 listeners per week And I'm not making this up, I'm not exaggerating That's really what we have Now most of them are not live The vast majority of them are not live That's why you don't see a thousand people crowding the chat room Most of the people listen in some kind of podcast format Whether through iTunes, whether through downloading from our server Whether it's through Stitcher But there really are more than a thousand listeners per week And I can figure this out because since I run my own server I can look at the statistics of the downloads of the MP3 I can look at the live listening statistics And I can look at the Stitcher statistics Uh, If you want to see an example If you want to see, I wouldn't say it's proof But something that at least would lead you to believe I'm not full of crap If you go click on the Stitcher link If you go click on the radio tab And then click on the Stitcher link Near the bottom of the archives It will tell you that Well, at least last last I looked 119 people have this on their playlist for Stitcher Now, 119 is not 1,000 But Stitcher is the least used form For this show to be listened to A lot of people have no clue what Stitcher even is But yet even on Stitcher We have 119 people that not only listen But actually have it in their playlist And there's plenty more who listen Who don't have it in their playlist And that's just Stitcher alone We have iTunes, we have the direct server downloads We have live So yes, you add it all up And in a typical week We have more than 1,000 listeners And I'm happy about that And in fact, that, that brings me out to do the show Even at times when it's inconvenient for me Or I don't feel like it I say I've got a thousand plus people that are counting on me And I don't want to let them down So anyway Thousand plus regular listeners per week on this show Here are the five nominations The 2 plus 2 poker cast With Mike Mike Johnson and Adam Schwartz And I think they should be nominated They're the podcast of uh, the biggest poker site uh, site, Biggest poker forum in the world And uh, I know they have a good listenership to that Inside Edge With Andrew Feldman from ESPN This is not Andrew Feldman the poker player This is Andrew Feldman of ESPN Of the poker media Thinking Poker I've never heard of Thinking Poker before With Andrew Brokos and Nate Mavis Poker News Podcast With Christy Arnett Donnie Peters and Rich Ryan I guess I mean, it is poker news is pretty big. I can see why that would be nominated, and the rabbit hunt with Mark Gahagan and Chris Grove. So nothing against these podcasts. I mean, other than thinking poker, I've heard of the other four. I'm not saying they should not have been on there, but I don't know why there only have to be five. There could have been more than five. They're making up their own rules, so why not put Poker Fraud Alert on there at least as a choice? If no one voted for it, then take it down the next year. But at least put it up as a choice. That's not a huge deal Some people are asking Why do I give a crap I don't give a crap that much It just I don't know I come out of here every week We've got a thousand plus listeners You know Most people know we exist A lot still don't But a lot do Definitely the people at Bluff know we exist Just put us down there as a voting choice Come on Anyway Someone Asked why is Poker Fraud Alert Not On the list Why was this not one of the nominees 
And Seriously Serious tweeted back, remember he's a bluff employee, I think Kev Math is responsible for that omission. That's Kevin Mathers. He really hates that show. What? What? I can't believe this. Kevin Mathers hates the show. Kev Math actually listens to this show. Kev Math will sometimes even donate money that he wins in the free roll to this show. Kev Math retweets what he thinks are my more interesting tweets, and then I get like 20,000 people reading it, and that always is nice to see, because he has a hell of a lot more followers than I do. I think I got like 1,700, and he's got like 20,000. Maybe so sad that Kev Math hates the show. So Kev Math then tweeted back, I'm giving Seriously Serious quite the look from across the office here at Bluff. <laughs> and then Crow Diddley tweeted back, is that, is that the look that says, I hate PFA Radio? And Seriously Serious said back, that's what it looked like to me. Hashtag Kevrath. Well, apparently this was a joke. I mean, that's what I thought it was. I wasn't unable to understand the sarcasm there. <laughs> but <laughs> I still want to know why we were left off. You've got Seriously Serious and Kevmath working in the bluff office, and not one of you can somehow say, hey, you guys left this off? Jeez. So, since we're already talking about that, and I hate to give Bluff any more publicity since they gave us none, but here were the other questions on their Bluff survey. Favorite California poker room, breakout performer, one of them is Lonnie Harwood, by the way, favorite Florida poker room, favorite podcast, as I already mentioned, best final table, favorite off-the-felt moment, second best Poker follow on Twitter after Bluff's own Kevmath, it says. Favorite female poker player. Favorite on the felt moment. Favorite Northeast poker room. Favorite male poker player. Favorite Las Vegas poker room. Favorite online cash player. Favorite TV personality. So these are the things you could have voted for. Now, all of them do have either four or five choices from what I could see. There's nothing more than five choices, but I see some with four. So why not have some with six? I'm asking Bluff in 2014 if this damn podcast still exists. Please give us a chance. Please put us up there, even if we come in last in the voting. Now, I'll make sure we don't come in last in the voting. I'll, fi- I'll find a way to rig the voting like some of those people did in the Poker News contest. And as I said, I don't think Poker News rigged it. I think the contestants rigged it. Don't get me wrong on that one. Anyway. Then, if that's not bad enough, I mean, that was already kind of an indignity there that we didn't even get nominated for Best Poker Podcast. It's not like this is like Best Podcast. I understand how I may not be able to beat Adam Carolla or other big podcasts out there. But Best Poker Podcast? I mean, how many of them are there? I can't even be nominated? What is wrong here? So then, if it's not bad enough, and after Kevmath has already addressed this in his tweets, after he supposedly gives an angry look to Seriously Serious for saying it was his fault, Kevmath writes an article dated today, December 6, 2013. Top 10 Bluff Reader's Choice Award snubs. 
So okay, what should immediately come to mind there, Kev Math? You just tweeted about something that got snubbed that you listened to. So what should have been the first thing that came to your mind when you thought about Bluff Reader's Choice Award snubs? Well, let me scroll down here to where is this? Favorite podcast. Number four, favorite podcast. Poker Fraud Alert. We inadvertently left out... No, 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 no. It doesn't say that. No. It says, favorite podcast. Jason Somerville? What is going on here? Jason Somerville? How many of you listen to Jason Somerville's podcast? Anybody? Anybody? Huh. I didn't think so. That's because he doesn't have one. Jason Somerville does not have a podcast, at least none that I know of. Jason Podcast... Jason Podcast... Jason Somerville has a YouTube channel called Run It Up, where he documents his attempt to turn $50 into $10,000. Now, yes, it's a popular video series. He's created over 70 videos. It has 11,000 followers, and more than 1 million people have viewed it. As far as best poker YouTube video, I think that would be worthy of a vote. But it's not. It's favorite podcast. A YouTube channel is not a podcast. Even if it's made regularly, it's just something different. A YouTube video and a podcast are two different things. A podcast is like radio format. A YouTube is video format. It's like calling a TV show a radio show. It's like it's like voting best radio show, and, and you end up voting uh, yeah, The Wire. You go, The Wire's not on the radio. It's a TV show. It's the same thing. This is like the equivalent of an internet TV show. Very disappointing week, as far as Kevmath and Bluff are concerned. Okay, now that I got that off my chest, now I can do the rest of the show in peace. I, I just had to get that out. Let's go to a little bit of good news regarding recognition of this podcast. The 2 Plus 2 Poker cast with Adam Schwartz and Mike Johnson. Now, now keep in mind, I was banned from 2 Plus 2 from 2008 all the way through fairly recently. I'm not banned anymore. I post there as Kilowatt. But I was banned there for quite some time and finally got unbanned uh, only, I think, in 2013 is when it happened. I think earlier this year. But despite that, one of the hosts of the 2 Plus 2 Poker cast was a fan of this show, and that's Adam Schwartz. And I knew that, and uh, I appreciated that. And, you know, it always makes me feel good when somebody who does a successful poker podcast, which they have there at the 2 Plus 2 Poker cast, that they would, or at least one of them would, enjoy this podcast. Because that means I'm doing something right if someone who actually does this every week enjoys what I'm doing. It means it must not suck, especially because I'm talking about a lot of the topics that he probably talks about, too. He's probably sick of by now, and yet he still wants to hear my take on them. So I think that's great. I think it's very flattering. So here is a comment, I think the first comment he's ever made publicly about his enjoyment of the show. This is at the beginning of the 2 Plus 2 Poker podcast, about five minutes in, discussing the Bluff Awards and discussing the nomination they had. And what poker podcasts Adam Schwartz listens to besides his own? Anyways, um, so yeah, it was uh, great. And who did you pick for best podcast? 
Uh, I tournament poker edge. <laughs> I don't think they were. <laughs> were they I voted? Don't, I don't believe they were on the on the nomination. But uh, anyways, thanks to uh, uh, the people at, at Bluff for uh, once again including us in uh, uh, in that. Uh, the only uh, other uh, poker podcast I listen to regularly wasn't even nominated, and that's uh, Poker Fraud Alert. Yeah. I don't listen to any other poker podcast, but uh, Poker Fraud Alert is the Todd would tell us one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I I find that when I am, uh, you know, putting the material uh, together for the uh, for the program, uh, the time is better spent uh, on the forums, right. And going to uh, you know various websites to get stories and people's reactions to well, those stories, as opposed to a, a, a podcast. I always with Todd's podcast, I listen to it after we do our show because he does a lot of the same stuff. And if I listen okay. to it before. I don't, you know, I want to have my own sort of take on it. I don't right. want to regurgitate. Well, and a lot of podcasts like ours are tend to be reactionary. I mean, the story is out True. there, and then we comment on it when, when I want the stuff as it's happening, as it's first coming out, and it seems to be, you know, some of the online sites, Twitter in particular, sure. you're going to get the stuff as it's happening, and on Instead the forums, of, yeah. you're going to get it. Whereas, you know, we're more of an overview for, you know, a, a source for people to come uh, for, uh, you know, what's been happening in the whole week, and, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and different opinions and takes on it. So, uh, so yeah, but, uh, you know, always nice to be uh, uh, acknowledged. All kinds of stuff going on in, in poker right now. and perhaps- Okay, so Adam Schwartz saying that he listens pretty much after they're done with their show. And I guess they do their show on Tuesday also. So after he's done with his, he listens to this one. And he does say he would only want to listen after he does his show. Because he wouldn't want me to influence his point of view in any way And I can totally understand where he's coming from there Because when you listen to another show And then you cover the same topic on your show What you could accidentally do is say the same thing as the other hosts And make yourself sound like you're ripping them off Like something you didn't think of before That they think of and you say, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Then you want to bring it up and like, oh, no, I can't say this because like no one else has really said this yet besides this guy. And now I'm going to sound like I'm copying him. So in order to avoid that, you just don't listen to them. You do your own show and then you listen afterwards. So that's what Adam Schwartz is apparently doing. I think that's pretty wise to do. But I'm very happy to have him as a listener. I know he's been listening for a long time. In fact, don't tell Mason, but Adam was listening while I was still banned from 2 plus 2. <laughs> and also don't tell Mason that I played a part of his show's content on this one <laughs> I don't want to get banned again I actually enjoy 2 plus 2 I'm glad I got let back on there And, you know, I won't go into the whole situation again I, I got banned for doing nothing wrong, essentially I got banned because of my association with someone else That I'm no longer associated with So, <laughs> you know, now that I'm no longer associated with that person I'm like, well let me back here. I didn't. I never did anything against the rules in the first place. So, they did, and uh, I appreciate that. And, and two plus two is a different experience than Poker Fraud Alert. Poker Fraud Alert is a smaller community. Two plus two is a very big forum, but sometimes it's important to participate in the big forums to get the word out to the maximum number of people about important topics. So I, I like participating there, and of course on my own forum on PokerFraudAlert.com. And uh, happy that Adam Schwartz listened to this show. And I, I think that's a little bit of a sign that I'm doing something right here. So that makes me feel a little bit better, that the only show that Adam Schwartz listens to 
involving poker is this one. Anyway, let's get on to the topics that have nothing to do with media recognition of Poker Fraud Alert. Let's talk about poker by proxy. Talked about that last week, but there's a big update, a very big update. Poker by proxy, for those of you that did not listen last week or do not remember, was a site at pokerbyproxy.com. Exactly as it sounds, pokerbyproxy.com. Here is their own description of it. Poker by Proxy works by taking your money and distributing it amongst our team of skilled poker players. Our players then use your funds, combined with the funds of every other Poker by Proxy member, to play in some of the most profitable online games, as well as large offline tournaments. Depending on the size of the pool, the number of games we play, as well as the uh, types of games, will vary. So what they're trying to say here is, you send us money, we'll play poker for you, and if we win, we'll pay you. And they had all these details on there about how they're never going to lose more than 5% of their collective bankroll in one day, so you don't have to worry about them tilting off all the money. And uh, it had a results page with all their results, and of course the results looked very positive. They accepted cash, they accepted Bitcoin, they accepted PayPal. Whatever way you could send them money, they were happy to take it. Something I noticed last week, in fact I noticed as I was doing this show, when I looked at the results page, I found that dating back to September, because they had results from every single day listed by the percent they won or lost, so they have like, you know, plus 3.05%, minus 1.2%, whatever. Well, I noticed that going back to September, which is as far back as they had for results, every single time they had a losing day, it was followed by four or more winning days. Every single time they had a losing day, it was followed by four consecutive or more winning days. So not only did they never lose two days back-to-back, they never lost and then did not win at least four straight days in a row. But yet they had a number of losing days mixed in there, just always four winners sandwiched in between. The chance of the losing days being that well distributed, that evenly distributed, is just about zero. If you ever took a statistics course, you would understand how that's just about a zero chance that that could happen. To have that many losing days and have them perfectly dispersed to where they never occur more than every five times. Now, that was one of many, many red flags on the site. The whole thing screamed scam from the very beginning. So I'm not giving myself credit as some sort of visionary or amazing detective to figure out that these were scammers. It was obvious to anyone who understands poker in the slightest, or even anyone with a brain who understands internet scams in the slightest, but especially poker players. So it's not like anyone was really fooled by this in our community. Well, on November 29th, I guess they decided the jig was up. Uh, the way they were mainly finding victims, by the way, was not on 2 plus 2, because or, or Poker Fraud Alert or any other forum that's primarily populated with poker players because they know what reaction they would get. You're a scammer. This isn't realistic. Who are you? You know, they didn't they said we're playing your we have some of the best players playing. They don't say who they are. You have no idea who's playing with your money. You have no idea who you're sending it to. You can't even watch them play. You don't know if they are playing. So 
they they got there through uh, they got most of the people through a forum called the Moneymaker Forums. Nothing to do with Chris Moneymaker, by the way. The MoneymakerGroup.com. MoneymakerGroup.com actually is the URL. And there are really, really, really some delusional people in that moneymaker group on that forum. And I'm not surprised because you have to find people who are pretty gullible to fall for something like this, even if they're not familiar with poker. Because someone not familiar with poker would want to know a lot of things if they have a brain, such as, who am I sending my money to? Who's actually playing with my money? How can I verify you're actually playing with the money? You don't have to be a poker community expert to ask these questions. So they went to moneymakergroup.com, which is it's a group of like wannabe investors. Even the name, moneymakergroup.com. And you can imagine it's not the most savvy group of people over there. People who think they're savvy, but aren't. What was even more laughable is you had some people there saying, yeah, well, you know, it might be a scam, but the trick with these things is knowing when to get in and out to where even if it is a scam, you can still make money. So some people were saying, yeah, even if it is a scam of some sort, as long as I get my money in and back out before the whole thing crashes, it's still a good investment opportunity, even knowing it's a scam. No, it's not. If you know it's, you're being scammed, it's highly unlikely you will ever make any money. But these were just excuses these people offered when they were being questioned. Because nobody likes to feel like an idiot. Even if you are an idiot, you don't want to feel like an idiot. You don't want to feel like you did something stupid. You don't want to feel like a sucker that got your money stolen. So these people were really living in a massive state of denial when this whole thing uh, was going down, especially when it all crashed down. So it crashed down on November 29th. And so here's the update, pretty much. Because our, our last show was on the 26th, so this had not happened yet. On November 29th, their results page listed, and remember, they were supposed to have a stop loss of 5%. So if any day they were playing and had lost 5% of their bankroll, they're supposed to stop right there. Those were their own rules that they set. So what did they lose on November 29th? Did they maybe go a little bit past the 5%, you know, 6% or 7%? Or, I don't know, uh, 99%? <laughs> yep. <laughs> they lost 99%, they claim. How does that happen? How, how does it happen when you promise people that you're going to lose no more than 5% in a given day? How do you lose 99%? Well, here was their very weak explanation. Over the past few months, Poker by Proxy has been having an amazing time. Yeah, an amazing time stealing money. Profits were great for them. And our users were fun to correspond with. Yeah, I'm sure it was fun when these idiots were sending you money hand over fist, when you were obviously scamming them. However, things have changed, and in the process have totally destroyed us. Today's loss is not a typo. While we haven't com- completely lost that amount, we have taken massive losses thanks to PayPal and a few other unforeseeable events. So what they're trying to say here is, uh, we, we didn't lose that all playing poker, but we've taken a 99% loss thanks to PayPal and a few other events. It is with great dismay that I post tonight's update. Below I have outlined the primary challenges that we are facing along with the plan to move forward. Payment processors. The main problem is that the payment processors seem to be run by thieves. Yeah, well, it takes one to know one. 
PayPal has now managed to steal the vast majority of the funds that were deposited. Not only have they frozen accounts, they have billed our personal credit cards, bank accounts, and more. PayPal is one of the biggest scams I've ever seen, and somehow they managed to get away with it. To make matters worse, some idiotic investors have caused problems by starting disputes when their withdrawals were not paid instantly. We are very clear about how withdrawals work, yet some of our members seem to be illiterate. So they're insulting their own members who they scammed. That brings me to the next challenge we've been facing. The users. The vast majority of Poker by Proxy users are friendly individuals. However, there is a relatively large handful that seem hell-bent upon causing problems. These users have managed to freeze many of our accounts, reverse payments, threaten us when withdrawals aren't paid within an hour, and much more. Furthermore, these users post negative comments on forums and blogs and then demand ransom money in order to have them removed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really unbelievable that people want the money you owe them that you guys were not paying anyone. By the way, they they pretty much were not paying anyone the whole time. This wasn't just a matter where they just were paying people and just vanished. No, they they were barely paying anyone the whole time. The plan. Moving forward, we must make some major changes. First of all, we're removing PayPal altogether. I encourage anyone who uses PayPal to stop working with such a fraudulent company. The next step will be to get things back to normal as soon as possible. With a heavy burden on the frozen funds out of the way, profits will resume. In terms of making sure no one loses out, we've compiled a list of our users, along with their total deposits and withdrawals. A portion of each day's winnings will now be used to bring everyone back up into the green. Most members are in profit already. Please note that there will be some rules when it comes to this. Number one, anyone who threatens us or or anyone associated with Poker by Proxy will voluntarily forfeit any funds that they have deposited with Poker by Proxy. We are tired of ridiculous threats. We've actually received threats of violence when a user's withdrawal took more than two hours. We have no interest in dealing with such idiots. So you better be careful how you act towards them. They're going to steal their money. That'll be their punishment. They're going to spank you by taking your money. If you send any message requesting your payment be expedited, your funds will be forfeited. Such messages simply waste everybody's time. (laughs) I mean, really. Bad enough to say they're going to confiscate your money if you threaten them, but they're going to confiscate it if you say, hey, can you speed up my payment? They're just going to take away your money. Sounds fair. Three. The recovery process covers deposits and not overall account balances. So what they're trying to say is, uh, at best, you're going to break even. Four, withdrawals will now be paid within 72 hours. If you complain, as many of you have when your withdrawal was processed within a few hours, your account will be forfeited. Today's events are unfortunate. However, with a bit of luck, we can get everything back to normal in the near future. And for good measure, by the way, the next day they claim they made a 4-point-something percent profit back. Well, the only strange thing here is that, like, why go through all this? Why not just disappear? Why, why put this whole thing... Why, why say you lost 99% and not 100%? Why, why, keep it, why keep hope alive here? I guess they were hoping that they could still catch a few idiots who were willing to still deposit. Maybe their plan was to steal all the money that had already been deposited and then get more money, people throwing good money after bad who are saying, well, the only way for me to get my money I lost is by reinvesting with something other than PayPal, so maybe they can win it back for me, they can win back originally what I lost so maybe that was the plan, I'd have to guess that was the plan, but the amazing thing to me is that they thought this could work, I mean, even the delusional people who thought this was real 
uh, you have to think they wouldn't send them any more money at that point. So that was their statement. Um, believe it or not, instead of being met with complete outrage, as it was by some people, there were actually some morons on moneymakergroup.com who were still defending them and still saying that they were stand-up guys who were trying to get all the money back. Uh, here are some posts from a person named Black Shadow. This is amazing work. He's not being sarcastic, by the way. He really, he's really saying this is amazing that they're uh, trying to keep themselves afloat. I help all those who didn't make profit will have their deposit refunds in, in time. Patience is everything, and negativity will not give anyone any profit. So if Poker by Proxy is coming back, then we have to wait. Congratulations to those who got their refunds already, and thanks, Jack. Jack being the support guy who posted this. This is from Annie1024. I agree 100%. They already said they were going to make things right with those not in profit and hopefully come back. What's the point in putting in disputes with PayPal's? Don't you... Don't you do you want all the funds frozen and nobody get a refund? Why can't everyone just take what they said at face value and give them a chance to make things right? Well, there really is a sucker born every minute. I mean, if you read that moneymaker group, you won't believe some of the things there. Truthfully, what was going on was that they were trying to charge back on PayPal themselves. See, what happened here was they paid out very small amounts to people. So they would get good word of mouth that people are actually getting paid. So, for example, if you have $20 coming to you, then they're going to pay you. But if you have $2,000 coming to you, they're not going to pay you. So this way, all the dummies run back and post on Moneymaker Group, See? See? It's totally legit. See? They paid me my $22 they owed me. This is before the whole crash, by the way. I'm just saying the way they got these morons to invest in this scheme was by paying small withdrawals to people and stalling the big ones. So this wasn't even like uh, a standard Ponzi scheme. This was just a straight-up stealing of people's money and paying out very small amounts to get good word of mouth. Basically a direct scam. Here is an interesting chain back and forth of email from someone who uh, stupidly sent in more than one Bitcoin <laughs> for this. And you know, you know how much Bitcoins are worth. Uh, this is somebody who deposited 0.1 Bitcoins on November 11th, then decided after one day he liked it and deposited a full Bitcoin on November 12th, and then almost half of a Bitcoin on November 21st, meaning he deposited a total of 1.5938 Bitcoins, which uh, at the time I wrote that, at the, you know, the time that I, I noticed this whole thing on November 26th, uh, that was close to $2,000 then. Today it's about, uh, according to current Bitcoin prices, about you know, $1,300. But anyway, he tried to withdraw 1.24 Bitcoins in two separate withdrawals. And one of them was listed as processed. The other one was not processed yet, but he received no money at all. The first withdrawal was for 0.5 bitcoins. The second one was like 0.74 something. And they just made lame excuses when he was asking what's happening. Uh, He he asked, uh, what's with the withdrawal request? 
they wrote, they wrote back, what about it? And he says, and then they said, uh, when am I going to get it? And they wrote back, within 48 hours, we're just waiting on an in- incoming funding order. That was on November 26th. And then, of course, three days later, they claim they lost all the money. So you really had idiots who were depositing 1.6 bitcoins or more to this thing. It wasn't like guys taking a shot here with 20 bucks. I mean, there were those too, but there were people actually donating... I, I shouldn't say donating. They were. They thought they were investing <laughs> uh, thousands of dollars. What it really was, donating thousands of dollars. What gets me here is this was not even something very complicated. This was not something that you would expect anyone to fall for. Like, I could understand if if a big name in poker scams someone. Like, you can understand why like people would want to stake someone like T.J. Cloutier not knowing the stories behind him. Or you could understand how someone who's been around in high-stakes poker for a long time can get big loans from people and then don't pay them back. You can understand like a Chino Ream getting away with it, right? But how do these people just show up, claim they're poker players, not name a single person in poker that's associated with it, not even give any real names here, not let anyone watch what games they're playing, but just say, send us money, we'll play poker for you, and we'll tell you how we did. And people send them thousands of dollars, can you believe it? Is it really that easy to scam people in a short period of time on the internet? Is it really that easy? I knew it was easy, I didn't know it was that easy. When I first saw poker by proxy, I said, ah, this is, this is kind of comical, but I, I doubt there's many people are going to fall for this one. But no... They got people like this guy sending 1.6 bitcoins over there. Unbelievable. Now, they claimed certain people were involved with this. They mostly gave first names like Jack and Kendall. I think Kendall's last name was supposed to be Baker, but it's completely made up. The people behind it were clearly in Europe. In fact, even when they would list dates for you, they would do it backwards. Like, for example, November 13th, 2013, the American abbreviation is 11-13-2013. The European abbreviation is 13-11-2013. They go day, month, year. So whenever you see someone write a date that way, that means they're not American. So this and many other factors definitely led me to strongly believe that these are not Americans behind this. But listen to this video that was made on YouTube by Kendall one of the people behind Poker by Proxy he sounds very American Welcome to the Poker by Proxy referral program where you can earn thousands just by referring your friends here's how it works first you refer friends, family, colleagues or anyone else to Poker by Proxy using your referral link Next, your referrals join and deposit into the program. You then start earning as soon as they do. Our referral program pays 10% of daily earnings. This means that if your referrals are earning an average of $100 per day, you will earn $10 each day. This will continue as long as your referrals remain active in the program. With that said, what are you waiting for? Start earning today with Poker by Proxy. So this doesn't sound like a European guy, does it? That's supposedly Kendall. And now here's Jack, the guy who is interfacing with everybody, the main support guy at Poker by Proxy. 
Hi, I'm Jack from Poker by Proxy. Today we have an exclusive offer for Money News Online readers that I'd like to share with all of you. We're giving away $10 bonuses to the first 20 Money News Online readers who contact us requesting the bonus. To claim your bonus, all you have to do is sign up and then contact us with your username. This can be done with the contact form on our Contact Us page or through our internal messaging system. Either way, you'll have to act fast as these bonuses won't last long. With that said, I'd also like to take a moment to thank Paul for his recent review. We appreciate his insights and always enjoy reading his blog. Anyway, back to work for me. Thanks for watching. That's Jack. Before that was Kendall again, another American. So this Jack you've been dealing with all this time as another American guy. When I saw these, I realized something immediately. That neither Jack nor Kendall in these videos has anything to do with poker by proxy. But how is that possible? If they have nothing to do with it, why would they make videos like this? By the way, I like how Jack was talking about Money News Online readers. I, I didn't find Money News Online, but that sounds like another similar thing to MoneyMakerGroup.com. It sounds like they just kind of victimized whatever site they could find that had to do with money in the URL, figuring it was full of suckers. But anyway, back to Jack and Kendall. I had a feeling that these were hired web actors. If you go to a site called Fiverr.com, that's Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, two R's, Fiverr.com, you can hire these web actors to pretty much say and do whatever you want, typically for $5 for these short videos. So I had a very strong feeling that Jack and Kendall were just web actors who were hired to claim they were Jack and Kendall. And of course they had no idea that they were involving themselves in a scam. They thought they were just being paid five bucks to make some kind of promotion for the web. I thought this for a few reasons. First of all, you can't see this obviously on the radio, but this Kendall was speaking in front of a white screen. He spoke in front of a completely white background. And he didn't just like stand in front of a whiteboard or something. He, he did video editing to put himself in front of a white screen. Now, while that's not advanced video editing, it's still advanced enough to where... Just the typical person running a site like Poker by Proxy wouldn't know how to do that typically. Not only that, but J Jack spoke pretty well. Kendall spoke pretty well. They spoke like people who were used to speaking in front of a camera, who were used to doing these type of messages. Now, you take the average person who runs a business like this, like Poker by Proxy, and they would come off as doddering fools in front of the camera. Their eyes would be darting all over the place. They would sound kind of uncomfortable. These guys sound like they do this all the time. So my determination was they must do it all the time. Well, indeed they do. I suggested this on Poker Fraud Alert that these were web actors probably from Fiverr.com. Haley Hintz thought that was probably correct, and she went and researched it one step further and found Jack and Kendall. At least the actors behind Jack and Kendall. They are indeed on Fiverr.com. If you go to Fiverr.com, that's with two R's, F-I-V-R-R.com slash Minty1, M-I-N-T-Y-O-N-E, that's Jack. And then Kendall, I don't have his URL, but uh, actually I do. It's Fiverr.com slash website video. So you will see them. Both of them will do these videos for the large sum of $5. So... 
They spared no expense there on Poker by Proxy. They spent uh, five bucks per video there. Fifteen bucks total for the three videos we have. Well, other than being amusing, this may actually be their undoing. We're not sure how fake Jack and fake Kendall were paid, but Haley is pressing these two actors to give up the information of who actually paid them. Because if we can find out who actually paid Jack and Kendall, for fake Jack and Kendall, then we can find out who's behind poker by proxy. So if Haley gets anything, I will give an update on this next week. But, you know, I, I think most of the people who fell for this were Bitcoin people. And it just goes to show, from this and other scams I've read about in the Bitcoin community, if you thought poker players were dumb and gullible when it comes to being separated from their money, Bitcoin people are ten times worse. Bitcoin people seem amazingly easy to scam. Amazingly easy. Not that I'm telling you guys to scam them, but boy, they're gullible. This thing had obvious scam written all over it the whole way. Alright, so next topic. If anybody wants to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355-702-430-1808. Talk about Lonnie Harwood for a little bit. Lonnie Harwood, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is a female poker player. I think she's 23 years old. She just was on fire during the end of the World Series. She got fourth in a, in a big uh, event, a big 1500 buy-in event. When I say big, I mean they had a ton of people in the field. So fourth place paid 210000 Then had a PLO8 final table and finished sixth there. And then wins the... Uh, Uh, what did she win here? She she won another tournament. I don't know which one she won, but uh, I think she won another no limit tournament. Anyway, she cashed six times, won a bracelet, finished fourth and sixth. Most of this towards the end of the World Series just was killing everybody. That is a twenty three years old from the East Coast. If you haven't seen a picture of her, you might wonder how does she look. You hear a 23-year-old female poker pro. Is she really hot? Is she a beast? What does she look like? I'd say neither. Uh, she's okay looking. I wouldn't say she's hot. I wouldn't say she's ugly. Kind of just typical 23-year-old. Not someone you would turn your head and look at if she walked by you, but also not gross either. Just, just kind of okay. Uh, something that was noticed in her videos was that she seemed like she had kind of male mannerisms in a way. There were some suspicions that she might be a lesbian. Not that it really matters. I mean, she was nothing like Vanessa Selfs or anything. She wasn't manly. She just uh, she just had some kind of masculine mannerisms. And a lot of people thought, okay, maybe she's a lesbian. But other than that, and other than her kind of come-out-of-nowhere dominance at the end of the World Series, there there really wasn't that much about her of interest people did take note because she's a young female 
and you just don't see that many 23-year-old females just come out of nowhere and destroy in the World Series. And when she won that bracelet, it was event number 60, and it was actually the largest payday ever awarded to a woman in the Las Vegas World Series of Poker. So no female has ever cashed more in a single event than Lonnie Harwood did there when she won the bracelet. The way she did so well is she's very aggressive. So if you're aggressive and you run very well, as she obviously did, then that can be very deadly. If you're aggressive and run poorly, you can go through a long slump. But she obviously ran very well. Uh, But in the video of her, she actually admitted that she got a lot of good luck. She wasn't arrogant. She actually came off pretty likable. Hey guys, you're watching PokerNews.com. Welcome back to our coverage of the 2013 World Series of Poker. I am so excited to tell you that another female has won an open bracelet event. I think I'd rather hear this from Sarah Albright, by the way. Here this year, Lonnie Howard, she's taken down the $1,500 No Limit Hold'em event, $600,000, and your very first gold bracelet. What's going through your mind right now? Yeah, I'm pretty much overwhelmed. It honestly hasn't hit me yet. It's pretty awesome, though. I bet. She has had an incredible series. Uh, You're very dedicated to the circuit events, right? And it has paid off all that practice. She's come to this World Series. She had a sixth place, a fourth place, and now a win. What are you doing differently this year? Uh, Last year, I didn't really play many events. I only came out for the summer to play five, and then this year I I said I was going to play more. I don't know. Just... Just lucky. Yeah? <laughs> That's what you think it is? You get a little bit of run good mixed yeah. with the talent? Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. A lot, yeah. lot of run good. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay, so you hear that. Very humble sounding. Admits she got a lot of run good. And you have to give her credit for that. So she doesn't come out here and say, I'm the greatest. Uh, no one could compete with me. I came up with these great strategy adjustments that no one can handle. You know, she could have said stuff like that. She didn't. She, she said, yeah, a lot of run good. And you can tell she's kind of quiet, kind of shy. So I actually respected her there. I said, yeah, this is someone who's got her feet on the ground, seems like a nice girl, doesn't seem like your typical high-maintenance, you know, poker bitch type. So I, I, I thought highly of her after seeing that video. Don't know her, but I just thought highly of her from that video. And that was back in July. Now here is the current news with Lonnie Harwood. Apparently she has been multi-accounting on Poker Stars and Full Tilt. A guy named Zachary Donovan reported it on Twitter, but then was pressured to remove the tweet and did, but not before mentioning that he was asked to delete something. So that's kind of stupid to post something, delete it, and say, uh, yeah, I deleted something because someone asked me to delete it. That's pretty much just like opening himself up to everyone asking, well, what did you delete? And like, I think the guy kind of didn't want to delete it and did this on purpose just to clown the people who asked him to delete it. So anyway, the tweet in question was, LOL, Lonnie Harwood's boyfriend just told me that she plays stars on F- stars in FTP on someone else's screen name. Well played, sir. And then six minutes later, he deleted it. So very quickly, he deleted it. He wrote, was asked by one of the individuals mentioned in my last tweet to delete them, so I decided to do it, being the nice guy that I am. But of course, you know Twitter. People are very quick and someone captured what Zachary Donovan wrote, even though he deleted it about six minutes 
I can't say six minutes. Is it, the way I'm coming up with six minutes is it says the first one was an hour ago and the next one was 54 minutes ago. But an hour doesn't necessarily mean an hour. It could have been like an hour 20. But sometime like less than a half an hour between when he posted it and deleted it and posted that someone asked him to delete it. So the whole thing was captured. And a lot of people got angry at Zachary Donovan for deleting it in the first place. And a lot of people got angry at Lonnie Harwood for multi-accounting, which is considered a big no-no in this day and age. You have to understand, a long time ago, at the beginning of the online poker world, so to speak, people multi-accounted all the time, and it's just kind of considered, oh, well, that happens. It, it really came into the spotlight, it really became something that was controversial and that people looked down upon when there were some really bad instances of it that went down, such as Z. Justin, uh, that kid, I think his name was a black car, whatever, whatever name he went by. That, that was his fake account name, but the one who said it was his grandmother playing. Uh, people who were using multiple accounts to enter the same tournament, which is really awful. That's much worse than just playing on a different account. These would be people who would enter a non-rebuy tournament with two different accounts at the same time, and, of course, if they could even be at the same table and they really have an advantage, they could collude with themselves very easily. But even if they don't, that's still, like, highly, highly unethical and big-time cheating. So, when those things happened, when those scandals happened with Z. Justin and the others, uh, that's when there was really a big focus on multi-accounting, and not only did people decide that multi-accounting in tournaments was wrong, but just any kind of multi-accounting is wrong. So, if you ever admit that you're a multi-accounter, people really hate you. They really... Th- that they, they equate it with cheating, which I don't completely. I, I think in certain cases it's cheating. I, I don't think it's as much cheating as a lot of people think. But anyway, a lot of backlash to this. So Lonnie Harwood then came back with the following response. Let's get one thing straight. I don't play online. Borrowed account for a few days while I'm in Montreal. Well, first of all, that was kind of a lousy response. Very flippant. Let's get one thing straight. I mean, don't come out like that. What she's trying to say here is that she's an American player. She can't play on Stars or Tilt. But when she leaves the country for a few days or whatever, she'd like to play on those sites. Since you can play Poker Stars and Full Tilt from outside the U.S., the problem is you can't just say, hey, I'm in Canada now. Let me access my account to play real money. They they demand proof that you moved there. So the only way you can play on Stars or Full Tilt as an American citizen is by proving you now live full-time in another country. So she's saying, hey, I can't do that. I don't live full-time in another country, so all I'm doing is borrowing someone's account when I go to Canada so I can play over there, just do it for a few days and come back home. No biggie. I don't play online otherwise. Well, first of all, if this was even true, she should have come out and been apologetic and said something like... uh, I didn't realize this was so frowned upon. I just, uh, I just wanted to play a little, little bit of online poker on Poker Stars. is my only way to do it. It's only for a few days. I wasn't trying to trick anyone or deceive anyone. It should have been like a humble apology. I won't do it again. No, you don't say. Let me get one thing straight. Then she said, "I don't play online." I don't believe that either. She's 23 years old. There were previous profiles of her that were done online that said she was an online player, like when she was in college. So I don't believe this. I don't believe that Lonnie Harwood was not an online player. I think 
She is not an online player currently because of U.S. law, but she was once an online player, and her actions, even if she's telling the truth, sound very much like someone who misses poker stars, misses full tilt, and that the second they get out of the country, the first thought they have is, wow, I can play on these now. If you're not an online player, you don't care about that. If you don't ever play online, you don't care when you go to Canada that you can play on stars. You, you just don't even think about that. I don't think it's the biggest deal if she really did what she said. However, there are some questions here. Was she really just borrowing it for a few days while she was in Montreal, or was that her excuse? She had to give some excuse. She can't say it was completely made up because no one's going to buy that. So she has to give a harmless-sounding excuse. But maybe she does play online. Maybe she plays under some account by VPNing into Canada somewhere. And that's how she plays poker. It's very possible. And then the question comes up, which account was she using? If she's using an account, like let's say she has an aunt that lives in, in Montreal who never plays poker, and she got her aunt to sign up for Poker Stars, and she VPNs into Montreal and plays on her aunt's account, but her aunt never actually plays. Well, even though that's violating the law and violating Stars' terms of service, I don't care because it's not cheating. All you're doing is playing without having to leave the U.S. And you know, if people want to take the risk and do that, fine. I'm not against that. I don't think that's unethical. I think you're taking a chance. I think you may get your money seized from you if they catch it, but I don't think it's unethical. Because it's just, you know, you're just violating the, the law that you're not supposed to play online poker on these sites from the U.S. You're violating the site's terms of service, not letting you do that, but you're not actually violating anything, like, ethically. You're not cheating. You're not getting any kind of advantage by permanently using a different account so you can play in Canada. But if she's really using a second person's account who actually does play on there, well, then it starts to bridge into territory, like, a little bit unethical, in that people who have the play style down for the person who plays on that account, suddenly it's going to change what she's playing on, and it could confuse people and give her an unfair advantage. But, do I think it's a huge deal? My answer is no. I really think here that the cover-up is worse than the crime. This is one of these cases where the cover-up is the big deal, the crime is not a big deal. No matter what she's doing. First of all, on 2 Plus 2, they're freaking out over there, calling her a cheater, calling her a scum. I think that's unfair. First of all, it's important to make distinctions regarding cheating in poker. There are some situations which cannot be classified as anything other than cheating. And those are the ones which violate the basic rules of fair poker play. For example, super using, seeing other people's whole cards. Definitely cheating. Card marking or colluding. Definitely cheating. Multi-accounting in the same tournament Definitely cheating Taking over for someone midstream in a tournament Definitely cheating So those are cases where it's very, very obvious that that's cheating They all violate a very basic premise of poker Super using, you can see people's cards Obviously not right Card marking or colluding uh, Again, it's just direct cheating uh, multi-accounting in the same tournament I already explained the problems with that and, and taking over for someone midstream in a tournament It violates the whole point of tournaments Where uh, the best player doesn't necessarily get you know, Unlimited chances To keep taking a shot It's a matter where you just get a stack And once it's gone, you're gone And that players later in the tournament May be the weaker players who got lucky That's part of tournament play If the weaker players can hand off their 
their spot to someone who's really good in the middle, that totally changes what tournaments are. So that's definitely like big time cheating. But there are areas in poker where the player is being unethical but not necessarily cheating. For example, routine account sharing, where two players actively switch off playing on a certain account. That is two guys sharing one account. It's unethical because you can't ever get a read on that guy's style. And they can get a read on your style. Because you're the same all the time, they're different. It's unethical, but it's not cheating because you're still playing basic poker. They're not seeing your cards. They're not violating any kind of basic thing of poker. They're just uh, playing identity games with you. Switching accounts in order to get heads-up action from someone who otherwise won't play you. That's, again, unethical, but not cheating. Now, some people say that is cheating. Well, I think it's very bad. I think if that happens, that if it's discovered, then the money should be seized, whatever you won, and given back to who you want it from. I mean, I think it's a real shitty thing to do. I'm not defending it. I think if someone doesn't want to play you heads up, you shouldn't trick them into playing you. I think that's a crappy thing to do. But it's not cheating. I think it's really lousy. I think it deserves some sort of punishment. But I don't think it's cheating. I guess you can call it identity cheating, but it's not poker cheating. Because you're still playing a regular fair poker game. You're just playing someone you otherwise wouldn't want to play. But it's not like you have a full stack of information on people you play. If a new account shows up and plays you, heads up, and you know nothing about the account, and it's actually a guy you would never play because he's really good, well, in one, on one hand, the guy's tricking you into playing him, which is definitely wrong, but on the other hand, how would you know that any new account that sits with you is bad? For all you know, the person could be good, and you're still playing him. So, just because it happens to be a person you won't play, that doesn't mean he's cheating you. It just means that uh, they're playing identity games with you, and it's unethical. But I wouldn't call it cheating. Caller, you're on the air. Hello, Joss. Hello. Any guess who this is? Uh, no. Uh, I give you three guesses. I, I don't really rec- can't tell my voice. N- not right now. No. No. Okay, so it's uh, it's one step. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just just curious. I uh, want to know how your holiday was went. Okay. Uh, how your holiday went. I, by the way, I your phone is clearer than normal. I think that's a difference. Usually, you've got kind of like a a phone that's kind of soft. Here you sound loud and clear. So I don't know what you've been doing lately, but you want to, yeah. Do you want to know how how much of a Jew I am? How much? I I was I was going to fuck a twink today, but I needed to buy I needed to rent a hotel room, and that cost one hundred and sixty dollars. And I said, you know what? I that's too much to spend for a hotel room. Really? So you you so you didn't get yeah. with a twink because the hotel room was too expensive? Why not go to a cheaper hotel? Yeah. Well, the the only, the only hotel by me is one hundred sixty dollars. That's a the, the cheapest. You need to look uh, for some coupon codes or something. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Best Western doesn't have coupon codes. No, it doesn't work that There's way. There's got to be some solution it, here. It, I, mean, it, I, I, I don't yeah, have much experience. I don't have much experience in uh, fucking twinks, but I I do have experience how, looking for about, hotels. How about could you maybe fly me and a twink out to Vegas and put us up for a weekend? No, no, that's not going to happen. You're, you're no? on your own with this one. <laughs> I'm not going to interfere <laughs> with your. I'm not going to interfere with your 
rendezvous with Twinks, but I'm not going to help it either. I'm just going to stay neutral and let you uh, take care of it yourself. Help a, help a, help a brother out. Come on. <laughs> uh, oh, I got a question. Are you are you celebrating uh, Christmas this year since you're, you know, with a, a Shiksa girlfriend now? Do you, did you buy a tree yet? I, I never bought a tree. You never buy a tree? So, no. But you, you celebrated Hanukkah, right? I celebrate Hanukkah. In fact, Ben lit the candles in the menorah Every day, and he was very excited about it too. Oh, you don't have electric? You have a no. We we do. I mean, we, it's an electric one, but he he you know he spun the he turns the knobs. Yeah, he turns yeah. the knobs That's to cute. turn them on. He he really loved them. He, that was his. Uh, he was very excited every night to do this. So so you don't so you don't celebrate Christmas? No. That's interesting. Interesting. Uh, are you are you planning on celebrating Christmas in the future, or it's just you know only going to be Jewish holidays? I it depends, but. Uh, Anyway, I, like, okay. why would just, I? I wouldn't just, celebrate Christmas. I, I wouldn't say Ben can't celebrate Christmas. I just, I'm not going to actively do it. Yeah. Does your does your girlfriend do? I, my my girlfriend's not really religious, so oh, okay. yeah. No, I, I would I would never right. I would never get with someone who is a religious Christian because it just wouldn't be compatible with me. In several well, ways. Well, yeah, but you know, like it always always like I'm surprised like maybe her parents aren't. Uh... You know, because usually, you know, it's further down the line, it always comes up, you know. No, no, and, look, uh, it, know, it might, if, might be an issue. Uh, no. Though, uh, no, I'll, I'll tell you something. I'll, oh. I'll, re- I'll reveal something here. I, I haven't been completely honest. I've been honest, but not completely honest. I did not oh, buy I'm a Christmas I did not buy a Christmas tree, but there is a Christmas tree in the house. It's just not mine. Uh-huh. It's not mine, though. Yes, it's, a, it's, an existing, it. it's an existing one that she had before she was with me. Uh, exactly. Okay, that's how it starts, Just remember. <laughs> but Ben was very enthusiastic about Hanukkah, actually, so I'm not worried. Yeah, of course. You and get, uh, and she is she is fine with me know. sending Benjamin to Hebrew school. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. Every you know, it's 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 a wholesome you know activity. You know, you learn shit and whatever. You know? No, but you know, she's uh, right. she's, she's not the slightest bit religious, so I'm not uh, concerned about that. And that's good. That's good. All right, long time to talk. Uh, it's it's been fun chatting, uh, but uh, I'm gonna let you go and uh, enjoy talking uh, for another two and a half hours. All, All right? right, thank you, thank you. One step. All right, so one step uh, with a call here and baits me into admitting that I had a Christmas tree in my house. Natural born hustler saying in the chat, "It's the Jewway or the Highway in Druff's house." Well, apparently not. If uh, if I let a Christmas tree be in the house. Josie asking in the chat, what is a twink? I think someone in the chat will have to define that to her. But you can figure it out. A twink is someone that one step would spend the night with in a hotel, but I would not. You can start with that and figure out what that might be. He wanted my help. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that I spend my money to fly one step and a twink out to Vegas and put them up in a hotel? He actually thinks I, I might consider doing that. I don't even understand what I would get out of doing that. Like, <laughs> guess it was worth a shot on his part. I still think he can find a hotel for less than 150, even in New York. I mean, it's not like he's in Manhattan. He's he's far enough off in New York to where he can find something for less than 150. I just don't believe it. If I cared more, I would help him.
Anyway, uh, finishing up this topic about Lonnie Harwood. Uh, so I was listing the things that I thought were unethical but not cheating. Then there are some lighter ethical violations, which are technically frowned upon, but I think are very commonplace and can't really even be considered cheating or dishonest because uh, they probably happen all the time, and as long as they're not done routinely, it's just so minor you just you just don't worry about it. Uh, these are things such as ghosting, which is like having a friend or a coach help you through hands as you play online. Like, if you constantly have someone with you telling you what to do, yeah, that could be unethical. But if, like, a friend is over and you're playing, a, hey, come on over, watch me play 2-4 No Limit. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, let me, sh- let me show you my strategy. Like, if he tells you what to do and he gives you your advice and, and you follow the advice, does this make you a cheater? Of course not. I mean, everybody's done that at one point. Everybody's had a friend over at one point and discussed hands together as they were in progress. I don't mean two people sitting at the same table. That would be collusion. I mean, one account, two people sitting at the computer talking about the hands. I mean, that's that goes on with everyone. Another very, very minor ethical violation, in my opinion, would be abandoning one account and starting a new one. For example, if your main account is running bad, you might switch things up by registering an account in your father's name or something and playing as him. That is, you know, considering your father doesn't actually play poker. You just make a second account and start using that one and abandon the first. Again, it's a light ethical violation, but people do it all the time, where they just uh, give up on one account and move to the next. The reason it's not a huge deal is because you come off as a new player, and um, you're not really tricking anyone. All you're doing is erasing people's memory of your play style. As long as you don't use it to trick people into playing you heads up, I don't think it's a big deal. And finally, uh, borrowing a non-U.S. player's account to play on PokerStars when visiting another country. Again, if you're just doing it for a few days, who cares? Yes, you're technically on someone's account. Yes, technically now you're changing styles and people won't be used to it, blah, blah, blah. But it's just for a few days. And, you know, how is this really different than if Lonnie is sitting next to the person and giving him advice? Or, or they're agreeing to go in half and half and play together. Like, it's all pretty much the same. And if you start saying these things are terrible, then pretty much everybody who's ever played online poker is guilty of something. So Lonnie claims that she's guilty of the last thing above, using a non-U.S. player's account while she's visiting another country. Provided it's really just occasional, I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm not going to ever look down on someone who borrows a friend's account for a few days when they travel to Canada. It's just not a big deal. Before you condemn her, before you think I'm full of crap and that she deserves your scorn for this, put yourself in the same situation. You miss Poker Stars a lot. You're visiting Montreal. You're on the phone with a buddy who you know there, and he says, hey, you know, you can play Stars on my account when you're out here. Do you want to do it? Here's my password. Would you say no? Would you say no? I, I'm not going to do it because it's it's technically a violation. Like, if the guy's willing to take the chance and let you do it, and he trusts you, are you going to say, no, I refuse because it's wrong? No, of course not. You're going to take it. You're going to say, hey, great, I can play on stars for you a few days and play. There are very, very, very few people who played for any length of time of online poker that did not at one point either ghost someone or play on another account for a short time. Almost everyone has done it. So, to since, you know, since One Step brought up the whole thing about me having a Christmas tree, I will now talk about Jesus. Jesus once said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I'm going to say that about online poker. That unless you are completely without any kind of terms of service sin, don't look down upon someone because they 
technically break a rule for a few days, unless it's something major and egregious. Now, if you still think you wouldn't do it, like the example I gave about Montreal, if you're visiting and you you wouldn't take over your friend's account for a few days, tell me if you do this. What if you're visiting your friend and you saw him playing on Stars? Would you refuse to sit next to him? Would you refuse to make any comments on any of the hands he was playing? If you thought his opponent went all in with junk, are you telling me you wouldn't tell your buddy, hey, I think the guy's bluffing? Of course you would. He's your friend. This happens all the time. It's not a big deal. You kind of accept that when you're playing online against someone. You never completely know who's on the other end. You have to just understand that. In fact, there are a number of networks today that actually allow you to multi-account. The Merge Network, for example, you can have multi-account, you can have multiple accounts on Merge and not break any of their rules. You're allowed to do it. So how is it okay there but it's terrible if you do it on poker stars just because one site says you can't and one says you can. It's either something unethical or it's not, right? Anyway, if all Lonnie is doing is guilty of going on stars or full tilt for a few days while in Canada because you can't, can't access her own account, then it's no big deal. The only thing is, I'm not sure I believe her. She claims she doesn't play online. But if that's true, why does she feel the need to suddenly get on stars the second she crosses the border? It just doesn't... That doesn't quite sit right with me. Anyway. Her boyfriend, who told Zach... Uh, whatever is Zach Donovan about this whole thing. Her boyfriend has been identified as Phil Hui. Phil Hui actually just won a $365 turbo event at the Harris Rincon near San Diego at the World Series of Poker Circuit. He just won this uh, this week. Lonnie Harwood is down there too, by the way. But uh, that's who the boyfriend is. I don't know whose account she was using. I, I, at first I thought it was his, but I, I don't think he lives in Canada, so it's probably someone else's. But I guess that does away with the whole lesbian thing. People thought she was a lesbian, but apparently not. And I doubt she's using Phil Hui for his money. I think she probably has more money than he does. Even if she doesn't, she probably isn't hurting for money given her summer that she just had. So I think uh, Lonnie Harwood's straight. Lo and behold. So my conclusions, Lonnie Harwood is not guilty of being a lesbian, and she is... Guilty of breaking the star's terms of service, but it's not a big deal. Everyone's making a big deal over nothing. It's not like someone caught her getting heads-up action from someone who otherwise wouldn't give it to her. She was just borrowing an account for a few days, and even if she's finding a way to play stars from the U.S., who cares? With all the scamming and poker, with all the scandals and poker, who cares about something like this? In fact, I've already spent too much time talking about it. So let's move on. This is a weird story. An Atlantic City poker pro, and I use the term poker pro very loosely, because I've never heard of the guy, and nor has really anyone else. He has apparently escaped two robberies at the Atlantic City airport. This is a crazy story. Let me get to the story right here. 
So this guy's name is Eric Riley. Not Eric Ryland, by the way. Eric Riley. R-I-L-E-Y. He was carrying $100,000 cash to the airport. Why? I don't know. I mean, that's... Why would you carry 100000 to the airport? But the story is that he showed up to the Borgata with 80000 to play... I don't know what he was playing there. I don't think it was a high enough game to need 80000 but whatever. He had 100000 and he met some guy named Junior who plays at the Borgata. And he doesn't know Junior too well, but somehow he and Junior got to know each other well enough to where Junior was driving him to the airport. So everything seemed fine. Eric Riley gets to the airport and he says to Junior, hey, pop the trunk. Let me get my stuff out. So Junior pops the trunk. Eric gets out to go get his stuff out of the trunk, including the 100K, and Junior hits the gas pedal and speeds off. So there goes Eric's $100,000. And I guess his mind went into action movie mode. Think about it in an action movie, if that happened. What would happen? I think it would be something like this. So, that was from the Pink Panther in 1975. Follow that car where you you find a taxi cab and say, follow that car and give him money to speed off and follow a car. I didn't think that ever really happened in real life. I thought it was just movie stuff. But apparently this really happened. Eric Riley jumped into a cab and told the cabbie... Oh, never mind. Let me try that again. Follow that car. So, the car went speeding off, the cab following it. Well, then Junior, with the trunk still open, by the way, because he just sped away with the trunk open, had to stop at a traffic light. Now, I don't know why Junior stopped at the traffic light and didn't just keep driving. I, I guess if it was a really busy, dangerous intersection, you don't have to drive through it or someone can hit you. But, you know, couldn't he turn right or something <laughs> to where it didn't require a lot of stopping? But no, Junior just stopped at the traffic light and was stuck there. So Eric hopped out of the car and grabbed the $100,000 out of the car. Grabbed the suitcase out of there with hundred k and had it back. And I, I don't know where, what happened to Junior after that, but at least Eric had his money back for the moment. Then another car pulled up and said that they were the undercover police and they had uh, seen this whole thing and that they're going to take him down to the station to file a report against Junior. So Eric was relieved and said, oh, I'm so glad you guys saw this. So without showing any kind of ID or anything, you know, the, the, he just gets in the car with the undercover police, who turned out not to be uncover, undercover police, and told him to hand over the money and pointed a gun at him. I mean, this, this happened in real life. This is not out of a movie. So then they're holding a gun at Eric Riley, telling him to give up the 100K. And he refuses. 
So what does he do next? He jumps out of the car. He jumps out of the moving car, holding the suitcase with a hundred thousand dollars, rolls on the ground. His clothes get torn to shreds from the rolling on the ground after jumping out of the moving car, but he still holds on to the suitcase and then manages to flag down some real police, who were not undercover, by the way. Then they took him to the station, and the ordeal was over. So he kept his money. Nobody has been arrested in this case, as far as I know. So, of course, this begs a few questions. Someone's telling me to get my glasses on to read the story. Where am I where am I confused? People in the chat room are telling me I'm wrong, but that was a story for one I remember. Well you guys can correct me if there's something I got wrong here. But uh, here's my take on the whole thing. Someone saying this story is ridiculous. I agree, it is ridiculous. But here's my take on the whole thing. Um, someone saying I thought it was JFK Airport. Maybe it was. I thought it was Atlantic City, but who cares? Here, here's my take on the whole thing. I think that all these people were in cahoots. I think that uh, they didn't know that Eric was going to be dumb enough to put the suitcase in the trunk and might be holding it on him. So probably the plan was for this these two undercover cops to follow Junior, and of course they weren't really undercover cops, these two people who, compl- who pretended to be undercover cops later, to follow Junior, wait for Eric to be dropped off at the airport, follow him into the airport, and steal the bag in some way. Maybe when he puts it down for a second, whatever, just grab it and run. One would be the getaway driver, one would be the one who grabs it, something like that. They were there to get the suitcase from him after he's at the airport with it. They probably didn't expect Junior to just speed off, and at that point, they of course had to follow. Maybe they thought Junior was stiffing them too. So, we'll never know the whole story unless it comes out because of arrests or whatever. I don't think anyone's been arrested yet, though I supposedly Junior is known around the Borgata. So, He's not totally anonymous, but pretty stupid of Eric not just to leave the suitcase in the trunk, but to go get in a car with these, quote, undercover cops after recovering it without seeing any ID of theirs. As far as Eric Riley, who is this? I tried to figure out who this guy is. It's kind of a funny part of the story on, uh, I think it was the New York Post. Yeah. They put, Riley, who lives in Deerfield Beach, Florida, is a skilled poker pro. How do they know he's a skilled poker pro? <laughs> who won 82000 at a recent tournament with a $2,500 buy-in, according to poker website Bluff.com, who snubbed PokerFraudAlert.com. He has earned roughly 261000 during his career and is ranked the 516th best poker player in the world, according to the site. Whoever wrote this article doesn't understand the bluff ratings. 
just because you happen to have won the 516th most amount of money this year or, or gotten enough bluff points to be ranked 516, that doesn't mean you're the 516th best poker player in the world. It just means for this year, your results are 516th best. He also has a job selling linens to hotels, police sources said. I don't know many skilled poker pros who sell linens to hotels on the side. But anyway, he does have like 235000 in lifetime caches, so... I guess he's done something. The only picture I can find of an Eric Riley in Deerfield Beach is a black guy who's mostly bald. I don't know if it's the same Eric Riley, but I think it probably is. Because Deerfield Beach isn't that big. But kind of a weird story. Love to hear the updates on this one. Well, another crime story we have here. This one did not involve anyone being arrested, but should have. Some of you might remember back before UB went down in the serious days, there was a player there named Flapjack1270. Flapjack1270. And I guess this guy did pretty well. At PLO especially. That was his game of choice. And I guess he was a big time winner. Let's see if I can look him up here on poker table ratings. Flapjack 1270. Okay, so he has a... uh, Yeah, he has pretty good stats on there. From the time they started tracking him, it was about a 10-month period from May 2010 to March 2011... He won $392,000 on UB. He mostly won the money at 5100 PLO. Heads up. He actually won $667,000 heads up in 5100 PLO. He also uh, won a little bit of money at 1020 PLO. Lost a little bit at uh, 2400 PLO, but whatever. 390 $3,000 profit, 1.35 big bets per hundred, out of 52,600 hands. So, pretty good player. However, a lot of people were not impressed with his game. A lot of people said that Flapjack was awful. A lot of people were really uh, looking down on him. He also did weird things, like he'd sit at the blackjack there, because they had blackjack on UB, and he would sit like with a million dollars. He wouldn't bet a million dollars, but he would actually sit with a million dollars just to show off he had it on the site. So he had a million dollars on the site at one point. For sure, he flashed it. And... Supposedly when Black Friday came, and it was exposed that UB had no money, that it just decimated him. That this was his entire bankroll... And it was gone. His million dollars he was flashing at Blackjack he was never going to see because nobody got paid on UB after Black Friday. It's not like Full Tilt where people are going to get the money eventually. UB, it's gone. So, this guy's real name is Dan Harner. Not a big name in poker. But here is an interesting story that just occurred recently involving Dan Harner, a.k.a. Flapjack 1270. It involved a guy on 2 Plus 2, who went by Kid Dynamite. 
So, Kid Dynamite got informed that uh, Flapjack 1270 wanted a steak. And on September 16th, 2013, they had a Skype conversation. So this is what uh, Flapjack said. Hey, kid. We don't know one another, but I was wondering if you'd be interested in talking to me about joining your team. I'm an ex-PLO Heads Up Pro that gave up on poker after Black Friday, but was very successful prior to that. I've dabbled here and there in live poker, but now I'd like to turn that into a full-time gig again. I've had quite a bit of success live, but with my prior engagements, was unable to travel. Now the time has come that I have all the time in the world, just just like to have a backer. So, then what uh, Kid Dynamite said was, I don't recognize you in the picture. Send me one and I'll see if I remember playing with you. He he claimed he played with him at one point. I have a staking application online, but in the wake of all the uh, DHCG bullshit, I guess he was involved in some other scam that someone scammed him. Uh, I've lost interest in staking people who are playing in different casinos than I am. So then, he says, if you want to tell me a little about what you're looking for from my end, I'm listening. So, Flapjack says, I'm unfamiliar with the DHCG situation, but I don't typically follow the whole poker community. What casinos are you playing at? I'm looking into Detroit and Cincinnati, considering those have ridiculous PLO action nowadays, and possibly Hammond's Horseshoe. Basically, not sure if you're familiar with online poker much, but I'm Flapjack1270 from Ultimate Bet and Absolute Poker. I was murdered by the Department of Justice on Black Friday for well over seven figures that I'll never see again. So I gave up on poker after that and just traveled with my girlfriend, now ex, and now settled down in Chicago and did the respectable job thing for a few years. Now that I'm not tied down to anyone or anything, I'd like to get get into poker full-time again. I only play PLO, so I'd want to travel to cities that uh, that offer a consistent game of it. Detroit, Cincinnati, Hammond, maybe Vegas, but I heard it's only 1-3 that runs consistently. Let me know if I can find a picture you might recognize. It was a short session. Uh, we played with a guy named Sean, who you've later played against in a round-by-round game called The Counselor. I played the 5-5 game during that time. So so then uh, that was the end of the conversation. Kid Dynamite then says, I vaguely remembered playing with him in Pittsburgh once. The conversation continued with us talking about the specifics of my expectations and staking, etc. I was suspicious of his story, but ultimately, as long as he could make me money, I didn't care. Big mistake right there. We made plans for him to come to Maryland for a week. On October 18th, he came to my house. So he just invites this stranger into his house. That's already not a good decision. I gave him some money to play, another bad decision, and see how things worked out. This isn't my standard, but since he was claiming to be a high-stakes PLO grinder, I felt there was nothing I could coach him with, and it was all about him showing me who he said he was. So, can you imagine you just tell this guy, hey, I I was a high-stakes PLO grinder. Oh, okay. Come on into my house, I'll give you some money to play online poker. (laughs) So, first night, he loses 300 big bets. He comes back to my place and drinks all the beer in my uh, that my other horse had brought without asking him. So I guess he's staking someone else, and that guy brought beer, and Flapjack drank it all. The next day, him and I played a session together, and he was terrible. Super loose passive, no concept of math or pre-flop hand strength. He loses another 300 big, big bets. I move him down in stakes, now that I've seen him play, and ask him not to play until I begin to coach him. He plays the next day anyway and loses 200 big bets and claims it was a misunderstanding. So he's already shot off 800 big bets in this short time now, in like two days. 
and including 200 of which after he was told not to continue playing. And wouldn't you wonder why does Flapjack need this coaching session when he won 400000 on UB at high-stakes PLO, heads up? Shouldn't that already be a red flag of why is this guy so awful? We have a coaching session. He loses 300 big blinds again. That's the stop loss. That's why he keeps losing. I guess that's what he keeps giving him to play with. That's why it's always exactly 300. I am sleeping when he comes home. But he wakes me up and tells me the game is super good, and if he pays me his makeup now, can he keep playing? I'm thinking, what the fuck, but I just woke up, so I just want him to get the fuck out. So he writes me a check for $4,000, and I give him 2000 more. When he was writing the check, my gut kept telling to ask him to show me his bank account, but I didn't do it just because it was awkward. Yeah, it's much better to just accept a check from a stranger and let ever let it be awkward. Instead, I asked if he had the money in his account, and he scoffed and just said, of course. And what's he going to say, no? He goes back to the casino and wins 200 big bets. All right. Here's where the story gets interesting. I come home from playing, and I hear someone in the shower upstairs. It's Dan, you know, Flapjack, which is weird because he was staying right by my downstairs shower, and no one was using it. He leaves to go play and doesn't come back that night. He had played some long sessions before, so I didn't think much of it. By the way here, he's staking the guy to play live and not even watching him, and just trusting in what he says he won or lost. That's another terrible decision. Anyway... Marathon session A few days pass We don't see him in the poker room And no one can get a hold of him We begin to worry One of my horses searches the woods behind the house And doesn't find him What does he think they're going to find there? He's been abducted by the Blair Witch? (laughs) They search the woods behind their house Hmm. A guy took my money And gave me a check And then disappeared Maybe he's in the woods behind my house Makes sense After four days, I decided to file a police report for missing persons and also to contact his parents to see if they'd heard from him. Just before I called the police, I got a text from a horse saying that he had defriended me on Facebook. So I chalk it up as a scam and I come home. The reason I hadn't already assumed scam was because he had left all his stuff in my room. So it was only when he noticed that Flapjack defriended him on Facebook, you know, this friend told him this, that he noticed this, that, um... That was what made him finally realize that it was a scam. Before that, he was thinking, nah, it's not a scam. He left all his stuff here. He's he's definitely going to come back. So when I get home, my horses and I went through his stuff. We found some really suspicious stuff. A notepad with multiple names written down, all generic names which we thought could be multiple identities. However, we also had multiple copies of his birth certificate, so probably not fake identities. There was... Alcoholics Anonymous info, Gamblers Anonymous info, multiple phones, SIM cards, USB drives, his laptop, and a bunch of junk and notes. I couldn't get into his laptop because the SIM cards and USBs had all kinds of encryption hacker information and, and software on them. At some point in the basement, we were, we were talking about when we saw him last, and last time he was at my house is when he took a shower upstairs. It clicked in my head. I went up to my room, and 10 to 15K was missing. I contacted people he had written down in his notebook, and apparently they are all people he has scammed. The one guy said he tried to get a hold of me. Dan had stolen stuff off of him and sold it to get to Maryland. Two days later, Dan shows up to my house. He said he freaked out after dusting off all the money. So this guy actually comes back after doing all this. He actually comes back to his house and says he freaked out after just dusting off all the money. I told him I went through his stuff, and he understood. He claimed he didn't blow any of the money in the pit. 
and he didn't take money out of my room. He asked if he could do a load of laundry. I said yes. <laughs> so so he, this guy steals from him, and he says, oh, yeah, you can do a load of laundry, no problem. Would you like me to fold it for you, too? I have some nice fabric softener. That should make your clothes smell nice and fresh. Would you like to hold the snuggle bear in the meantime? What the hell? He steals from you. You let him come back in your house and do your do his laundry there. I never let him leave my sight. He left the house while the laundry was in and never came back. That doesn't even make sense. If he, if he never let him leave his sight, why would you not know that he's leaving while the laundry is still in the washing machine and dryer? Like, why wouldn't you say, hey, what about your laundry? I thought that's why you're here. So obviously he didn't keep track of him the whole time. I have not seen or heard from him in a, in a month. All of his stuff is still sitting in my house. A week or two after that, I'm getting $100 blackjack match plays in the mail in his name. So obviously that means he was playing in the pits. Well, uh, I don't know where to start with this one. Obviously this guy is an idiot, this uh, kid dynamite. One of the most gullible people ever. Uh, there is some suspicion in that thread on 2 plus 2 that this flapjack must have been a super user. The reason there was that suspicion is if he was really this bad, if they're watching him play PLO and he's terrible, he's loose passive, he has no concept of hand strength and all that, then how could he have won nosebleeds at PLO for so long if he wasn't a super user? Well, I don't think he is. In fact, I'm just about sure he was never a super user on UB. I think he's just a degenerate and a scammer. Here are my conclusions. First of all, as I said, he's not a super user. He's just a scammer. He's a degenerate who was broke and smelled an easy mark. So he was serious in wanting a stake. You know, he, he had no other way to play. And he heard this guy was gullible enough to stake people who shouldn't have been staked otherwise. And uh, said, hey, why not? Free money to try to get his life back on track. I don't believe he was premeditated to steal from him. I think that that's why he left his stuff behind. After he kept losing, he asked for that cash in exchange for the check. And um, I forgot to mention later in the thread, the guy admitted that when he uh, was asked for the cash in the first place and got the check, that Dan saw where he kept the money. So I think what happened there was that Dan saw this opportunity to steal from him later and couldn't resist. So he probably decided at the time that he wasn't sure whether he wanted to steal the cash or not, but would consider it. Probably vacillated back and forth and then said, ah, all right, I've blown all my other money, including the money that was loaned to me for the... Uh, uh, or sorry, I guess he did it at the same time. But anyway, he, 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 he probably vacillated back and forth and then decided to steal the cash. He used the shower thing as a cover, obviously, you know, taking a shower up where the cash was located, so uh, it would make sense why he was upstairs. And then as soon as he stole it, he probably quickly left to go play. And I believe he probably did shoot the money off at the local casino, probably in the pits, especially because he's getting $100 match play offers for Blackjack in that guy's name. And... I have a feeling that Flapjack reasoned to himself that with the money he stole, he would win. And then he could probably come back and return the cash to where it was before this guy realized it was gone. 
That's probably why he didn't take his stuff. Probably Flapjack thought that he could continue with this whole thing. He probably thought he was just borrowing the money, much like Howard Lederer borrowed money from Full Tilt with the intent to return it if Full Tilt ever made its money back one day. But it's still stealing. And that's what this guy did. This guy probably said, hey, I'm just, I see where he keeps his money. I'm going to take it. I'll go sh- play blackjack at the local casino, and I'm probably going to win this time. I mean, my, my luck can't stay this bad always. It's got to be good at one point, right? Why not this time? So he probably deluded himself into believing he'd come back and return the cash. Now, after a few days of uh, super degenerate play, he came back. And the reason he came back is he probably thought that Kid Dynamite had no clue that the money was gone. He probably thought that Kid Dynamite believed that you know that everything was fine other than the fact that he was gone for a few days. He probably thought that he had not figured out yet that the cash was stolen. Because think, if you can keep a lot of cash in your house, you're not going and checking it every day. You kind of forget it's there until you need it. So if it wasn't for that shower thing, he probably wouldn't have put it together. So he showed up. Then once he got confronted, then he realized the jig was up and he had to leave. So then he said he had to do the laundry before he left. Probably knowing what a passive guy Kid Dynamite was, he probably figured, well, I, I might as well just get the last thing I can out of him to do laundry and also distract him with his laundry crap so we can take some of his stuff back. And that's exactly what he did. Later, when... Kid Dynamite went to go look again to see if the stuff was in his house. He had noticed a lot had been taken back. That a bunch of his clothes were left behind, but a lot of the uh, computer stuff, like the laptop and all that, were taken back. So this was his... The laundry was pretty much an excuse to take the stuff back that he really wanted to take before he disappeared for good. Unbelievable that he let this guy out of his sight again. Even though he claimed he didn't. So... I don't think this was a premeditated plan to steal, though. Because the whole thing was very sloppy, it was very haphazard. I think this is a sick, selfish individual who just used Kid Dynamite as a staker. Then when the staking thing didn't work out, then he graduated to bad check writing. And then when then that was drying up, then he took what he really... You know, he took the last thing he could, which was the money he saw when he saw the cash that uh, where it was stored. This guy was not a super user. This guy, Dan Harner, Flapjack, he has no known association with UB. Haley Hintz never uncovered anything about him. Scott Bell never uncovered anything about him. No one knows anything about a Dan Harner associated with UB. And besides, a super user would not have kept a million dollars on UB at Black Friday because UB did not have the money to pay out. No one would have kept that kind of money on there if they were a super user because it would have been very hard to get that money off the site even if you were associated with them. They were broke. So a super user would have cashed out. The super user would not have sat there with a million dollars. Russ Hamilton, for example, he cashed out plenty. He cashed out all the time. He didn't just hoard it all. When you cheat, when you steal money through cheating, you, you get it off the site. You don't, just, you don't leave it there. You don't flash the money to everyone. Now, the last question that remains is how could he have been so bad and won all that money against all these really, really good PLO players heads up? It is not easy to beat good PLO players heads up if you suck, if you're a loose, passive idiot. Well, we'll never know the answer to that. 
But I think there's a good chance that he was sharing his account with others. I think that Flapjack was probably a shared account. I think Flapjack was a fish, but he probably befriended some pros who realized they could make a lot of money by playing as him and get action from people who expected him to be terrible and were trying to make adjustments as if they were playing a terrible player. I bet it was something like that. But it was multi-accounting. I guess it's also possible that maybe after all this guy had been through that he just kind of lost all his poker skill. I've seen that before, where people who were once good, you play them again and they suck. They're like a different player. It's like you're playing against a broken man. And this kid Dynamite, when he found the this notebook, he read things in the notebook, like things like, I'm going to get my life back on track, I'm going to get everyone paid, I'm going to get my life back together, stuff like that. A lot of depressing stuff that, you know, him admitting he screwed people over, him admitting that he's in really bad shape, that he's done things he never thought he could do. I think this is one really screwed up individual who found an opportunity with a gullible chump who he could get stakes from and then just kept taking advantage of the guy more and more until he finally just outright stole from him. That's all. And I think probably the Flapjack 1270 account was shared. Those are my conclusions on that matter. So if Dan Harner, a.k.a. Flapjack, ever comes to you for stakes, don't do it. This is in the chat from JSTAT. Was Hollywood Dave involved in the UB scandal? He pimped for them a lot. I don't think he's a winning blackjack player. Just a feeling from me. A real winning counter. So, JSTAT, who is a good blackjack card counter, is saying he doesn't think Dave is a winning blackjack player. Well, I've played with Dave before, and I have to say he's one of the few poker players who claimed to be a blackjack card counter who I feel had the skills to win in blackjack. He seemed to know what he was doing. Most of the other poker pros who claimed to be card counters talked a good game, but then when you saw them play, they were terrible. They had tilt problems. They didn't even understand the basic adjustments you make to uh, the strategy when the count goes high or low. Uh, they, they made terrible bets when the count was negative and claimed it was for cover, like terrible big bets. Just, I, I actually think Hollywood Dave was a winning blackjack player. I don't know if he was a winning poker player. I saw a lot of poker played by him without a lot of results. And while I don't know what his online results were, uh, he never hit it big in poker, let's just say that. I'm pretty sure he stayed with UB because he didn't have much money. The one thing about Hollywood Dave is he's not a dumb guy. And he definitely was very aware of what was going on at UB. He would not admit it, but he was very aware. And he was actually a a principled guy, which is what surprised me that he would stay with UB because he seemed like the type to me that just would rather starve than represent a company like that. But I think he deluded himself. 
Kind of like how Gank deluded himself about lock poker. Gank finally left them, but for the longest time, Gank was making excuses. And this was a guy who was involved in the Occupy Wall Street movement and all this other stuff that, you know, fight for the little man sort of thing, and then pimping lock poker. And he finally came to his senses, but sometimes when that's the only thing putting bread on your table, you can find ways to lie to yourself about it. I think that's what Gank did, and I think that's what Hollywood Dave did. I don't think Hollywood Dave is a bad guy, and I definitely don't think he was involved in the cheating. But he was one of these UB pros who was there before he was aware of the cheating, before the cheating came out, and just stayed on because they didn't want to give up the money and kind of just lied to themselves. Uh, This includes people like Sean Rice, Mark Poker Hocroon, Jim Worth, Crazy Canuck, people like that. So, that's my opinion of Hollywood Dave and uh, his blackjack play and poker play. So, let's talk about the Rio for a second here, and then I'm going to call Ken Scaler after that. The Rio is a much reviled place by poker players. It's where the World Series of Poker takes place, of course. And it is the most convenient place to stay if you're going to play in the World Series, because you don't have to drive anywhere. You just walk down from your room. It is a bit of a long walk, because it's a a big place, and the World Series takes place in the convention center, but it is just a walk and not a drive. But people go on what I call Rio tilt when they've been there too long. You get stuck eating the same mediocre restaurants. You get stuck in the same mediocre hotel rooms with all kind of maintenance problems. It's it's not a nice hotel. It's not a luxurious hotel by any standard. You know, like Caesar's Palace, for example, that's the premier property for Caesar's Entertainment in Las Vegas. That's a nice hotel. They have a lot of customer service fails there, but as long as you don't stay in the Roman Tower, it's a nice hotel. If you stay in one of the two newest towers, the Augustus and the Octavius Towers, they're, they're very nice rooms. They're, they're not super beautiful rooms, but they're very nice and they're large and they've got a very nice view. That's a nice hotel, Caesars. The Rio is not a nice hotel, but it's not a shithole. Like the Quad, a.k.a. the Imperial Palace, that's a shithole. The Rio, it's kind of a, a, a middle-of-the-road hotel. Not good, not bad, but it's tolerable. Uh, There are a number of maintenance problems there. There are the same customer service fails that Caesars has, except it's harder to tolerate the Rio because it's not as nice of a hotel. The Rio has plenty of problems, but it's not a terrible place to stay. When people ask me where should I stay for the World Series, I say stay at the Rio. Because it's not so bad to where it's worth giving up the convenience to stay elsewhere. It's just not. If it was a shithole, I'd say don't stay there. But it's okay. Anyway, someone who thinks it's not okay is country star Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks. She has decided to attack the Rio. She stayed there for unknown reasons recently. And you would think Natalie Maines... The Dixie Chicks were so huge. They don't have much of a career anymore, but they were so huge in the early 2000s. They made so much money. And you would think that Natalie Maines 
must still have a lot of that money. So wh- why would she stay at the Rio, especially if she finds it to be unsatisfactory? But uh, here is her tweet. This is on November 30th, six days ago. I've stayed in, a thou- in thousands of hotels. The Rio is the first one that ever inspired me to make my own bed. Night three, still alive. So she shows a picture of the couch that she made into a towel bed. So she put towels on the couch to make into a bed for herself. And we're supposed to assume that the regular bed was disgusting and that she couldn't sleep there. And she talked about how it had bed bugs, odors, and general grossness in other tweets. Now, I've stayed at the Rio many times. I've never seen bed bugs. But one little fact about bed bugs that you may not know bed bugs are not related to the filthiness of the hotel. It's true. Look it up. Bed bugs can happen at any hotel, including really nice ones. The difference is how the hotel handles the bed bugs. If they take care of it when they find out Or if they just let it go That's why some really crappy hotels Have big bed bug problems Because they don't want to spend the money Or close down the rooms for a while To take care of the bed bugs They just leave them there But I've never heard of bed bugs at the Rio That wouldn't shock me if they were there But anyway Here's the question First of all, why is someone who has so much money Like Natalie Maines Still there on night number three, if it's that bad. Why not move hotels? Is, this, is the Rio the only hotel for her to stay in Vegas? Second, do you think that country star Natalie Maines couldn't get a different room at the Rio on November 30th, which isn't exactly high season? You know, it's after Thanksgiving. Um, I guess it actually, you know what, actually, I probably think it was Thanksgiving weekend, but still. Um, I'm sure she could have switched to a different room Or if not a different hotel Why would she stay there for three nights It's one thing if this is all you can afford But why would she ever stay there for three nights If it's like this Why would she move rooms I just don't believe That It's anywhere as bad as she's claiming And she didn't tweet out any pictures Of the other stuff She just uh, posted the picture of the couch bed she made. So I think she's exaggerating. I think she didn't want to show the other pictures because they would show it to be not as bad as she's making it out to be. The Rio has a lot of problems, but I've never really found it to be dirty. Every room I've had at the Rio has been clean. I've had weird things at the Rio. I once came into the Rio, and the headboard that's attached to the wall was lying on my bed. It fell off the wall. Thankfully not on my head Thankfully it happened before I got in the room But I come in, the headboard is lying on the bed And there's a big hole in the wall <laughs> That happens at the Rio uh, I had a room once where the where both sinks there Dripped all night And the lock for the I couldn't lock the door So all kinds of maintenance problems there But I've never seen it dirty But anyway I don't understand why she's like tweet complaining like this and just toughing it out in the Rio instead of just moving to another hotel. But I'll tell you why. It's because it's Natalie Maines. Natalie Maines loves to complain 
She loves to just run her mouth. She's just generally a bitch. Now let's go back about 10 years. And Natalie Maines, who was not a supporter of the war in Iraq, was performing in England with the Dixie Chicks. And she said this, Just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the President of the United States is from Texas. Referring to George W. Bush. Now this is in England. So she's going to another country bashing the U.S. President. It's It's not like she's a political speaker. She's a country music star. But what was really stupid about this was that she was a country music star. And who are the country music fans? They're typically Republicans. Not all of them, but there's a lot of Republicans, mostly Republicans, in the country music fan base. So she bashes the Republican president, says she's ashamed he's from Texas, while performing in a foreign country, and somehow doesn't expect a major backlash? But she was that stupid, she didn't realize that there would be a backlash at such a comment in the country music community. It's not like she has a fan base that's mostly liberal, and she thinks they're going to applaud that comment. This is a country music star bashing the Republican president while performing in a foreign country. Unbelievable. Stupid. Around the same time, she also went after Toby Keith for his song called Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Now, this is a song that Toby Keith made about uh, the 9-11 attacks that uh, the U.S. is going to find out who's responsible and, uh, and kill them, basically. The song was not attacking Arabs. It was not uh, even going after any particular country. It was just saying, the people who did this, we're going to find you and we're going to get you. That's what the song's saying. So this was her, her uh, quote about courtesy of the red, white, and blue around the same time, 2003. I hate it. It's ignorant and it makes country music sound ignorant. It, tar- it targets an entire culture and not just the bad people who did bad things. You've got to have some tact. Anyone can write, we'll put a boot in your ass. Because that was one of the lines of the song. So I didn't even get that criticism because he wasn't criticizing a culture. He was criticizing the people who actually did the acts. So anyway, as a result of both these situations, especially the ones about Bush the Dixie Chicks fell into irrelevance very quickly. Uh, Some people felt it was was unjust. But I thought it was very appropriate. I thought it was very deserved. She exercised her right to free speech by speaking out against President Bush and Toby Keith also. And the country music fans exercised their right to free spending of their money and chose not to buy their records anymore. So, she had to understand that if you want to have a career where you can speak freely and not worry about who you offend, you should become an op-ed columnist or a talk show host, but not a country music artist. You have to understand who your fan base is. You have to understand when you say things like that, people are not going to want to buy your records anymore and your career is going to go in the toilet. And that's what happened. The Dixie Chicks went from one of the most popular modern country music acts to irrelevance. So, 
I don't have much respect for Natalie Maines, and I think she's foolish. I think she threw away her career stupidly. And you know, I'm one who complains a lot about when companies do things that are wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't publicly complain about companies' missteps that affect you. But I think you have to always complain to the company first and see if they can make it right. There's a lot of times I don't post about a certain experience I have that wasn't good initially because the company corrects it. So, for example, if I check into a real room and notice it's dirty and gross, and I call up and say, hey, this room is unacceptable. This room is dirty. And I think I see bed bugs. And they say, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Wattellis. Well, to make up for it, we're going to move you to a suite instead, and we're going to give you a $100 food credit. So sorry. Uh, would you like help with your luggage to move? Well, at that point, I'm not going to go tweet out how terrible the Rio is, because they've made it right. You should always give the company a chance to make things right when there's a mistake like that. It's only when they get arrogant with you, when they get nasty with you, when they get uncooperative with you, that's when you take it public and try to shame them for what they've done, for their uncooperative response to whatever's occurring. But it sounds like Natalie Maines probably just said nothing to the Rio. I'm sure the Rio didn't refuse to move her, especially a big star like that. I think she just wanted something to complain about. I don't think she's making it up. I, I just think she's she didn't bother to go to them and say, hey, you know, take care of this. She just decided to try to humiliate them on uh, her Twitter. All right, so let's try to lighten up the show a little bit. Let's call up uh, a scammer. I don't know if we'll reach him, but uh, I'd like to give it a shot. We have a user here named Hutmaster, and he owns a pizza place. He recently opened it earlier this year in California. And he got a call from a scammer who pretended to be Pacific Gas and Electric, saying that he had a past due balance and his electricity was going to be shut off immediately unless he made payment. I don't know what kind of payment they were asking for. They probably have some company name that looks like Pacific Gas and Electric, maybe PGE or something, and then you don't question it on your credit card. Anyway, he caught it right away. He started laughing. The scammer said, why do you think this is funny? And Hutmaster says, do your homework next time, idiot. The electricity in the city is run by the city. Pacific Gas and Electric has no presence here. (laughs) So then he hung up and realized the mistake he made. Well, he got the number off the caller ID, and Usually they send, like, fake caller ID when they call with these type of scams, but I guess they wanted to put a real number there in case the person called back and was willing to pay or whatever. So he started pranking the guy. Now, C-Money, I I love C-Money. He already pranked him, and he was three-waying on the real Pacific Gas and Electric and this guy at the same time, and then would also four-way on a gay chat line. (laughs) (laughs) This guy kept getting uh, gay chat lines three-wayed on with him. 
But for some reason, the guy was still answering the phone over and over. Usually this happens because the scammers have scammed so many people that they are afraid not to answer the phone because they're afraid maybe it's one of their marks, so they don't want to miss the call, and they're willing to accept prank calls. So uh, we're going to call up uh, this guy here, and we'll see if we get him. He may have changed his number by now. This was last week. Whoop, whoa, 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 whoa. Wrong number. Here we go. Huh. Didn't go through. I have a feeling we're having a problem here. Let's try it one more time. This guy probably ditched the number after all the prank calls from C-Money and the uh, gay chat lines. I'm going to try the number on my... It just doesn't go through at all on Skype. I'm going to try my cell phone, see what we get. Put a speakerphone on my cell phone. If it works, then I'll connect it directly into the radio. Probably should have tried this before the show, but you know me. I produce the show during the show. So it just picks up and hangs up. That's what happens. So I guess the guy has uh, abandoned the phone number. It's too bad. It would have been fun. Well, let's move on to another light topic here. And yes, we will get to the Bitcoins tonight, so don't worry. I want to talk about the cum shot heard around the world. You may have heard of the shot heard around the world. This is the cum shot heard around the world. Now here is the shot heard around the world, the 1951 World Series. And uh, oh, get an advertisement here. I was trying to play it off YouTube. All right, here we go. Number one, the shot heard round the world. That was actually uh, the Bobby Thompson home run, and nineteen fifty one. This occurred between the Dodgers and Giants. Is when they were actually able to play each other in the World Series, which obviously could not happen today, being in the same league. But uh, this was probably one of the factors. It's one of several factors of why the Dodgers and Giants hate each other today so much, over 60 years later. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the shot heard around the world. I want to talk about the cum shot heard around the world. Now, Ken Scaler, who we're going to try to call tonight after I tell this story, 
I've known him since 1991. I met him in college during my first year there. And Ken Scaler, still now, but especially back then, when he was younger, had a masturbation problem. And he's been public about this. I'm not airing his dirty laundry, literally and figuratively. Uh, Ken Scaler has admitted before on this show that he was obsessed with masturbation back in those days, doing it as much as 11 times on certain days. It was, he told me that was his record, it was 11 times in one day. It's, a, it's hard for me to picture. I, I could never do that. Like I, I just would not be able to do it physically, even when I was younger. But Ken really did just masturbate furiously all the time, especially when he was younger. Well, as you might imagine, he was a big lover of porn. And... Um, There was a girl named Jessie Who he knew through Campus Democrats While he was at uh, college And Jessie had a party Now I I met Jessie a few times And she seemed okay Like Jessie was a person I knew her She'd say hello when she saw me She was pleasant enough Uh, Overall I didn't like or dislike her Just someone like a peer Someone I just saw around sometimes I knew her through Ken She seemed okay I was not at this party She I don't know who was invited, but I wasn't close enough to her to be invited. But it was at her house, and someone found someone turned on a TV in one of the other rooms and found pay-per-view porn and put it on. So Ken saw this and was all excited, and he ran over to the TV and he plopped himself in front of it. and He was just staring at the porn. He wasn't jerking off there; he was in front of a bunch of people. So you know, he's not—he's not a flasher or anything. So he's sitting here intently staring at the porn Probably trying to memorize it for later And people obviously saw what he was doing there And people saw how Hot and bothered he was getting So Someone said to him Ken, go take a cold shower So he actually did Uh, I think Jesse knew about this And was okay with it Jesse was okay with, with him going and taking a cold shower In her shower which surprises me, but uh, she was okay with that part. But here's what she was not okay with. He was in the shower for 45 minutes. That's right. I think you know what was going on in that shower. So did everybody. And Jesse was furious, and rightfully so. Jesse was absolutely furious that her shower was being used for Ken to jerk off. Nobody needs a 45-minute shower, no matter how dirty you are. So, Ken came out and Jesse was furious. Oh, did I make a mistake about the shot heard around the world? Did I say it was the World Series? Hmm. Well, I apologize for that. Anyway, getting back to the story. Yeah, the the World Series was between the uh, the Giants and Yankees. Actually, it was actually the uh, the NL pennant there. That uh, sorry for saying the World Series. Probably the uh, Vicodin having its effect on me. But uh, getting back to the story here.
Jesse was furious with Ken. Absolutely furious. She told him to go home. She told him she doesn't want to ever talk to him again. And I understand these reactions. I, I understand why she was pissed. I mean, she was nice enough to let him use her shower there to try to cool down, and then he does that. So that was in 92. I never even heard this story at the time. Ken was not proud of it and did not tell me. I didn't know Jesse well enough to where she would have told me. So I was completely ignorant of this story. Let's fast forward to 1994. It was around February or March of 94. I was dating a very, very attractive girl who actually looked very much like Alicia Silverstone. Really, 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 really pretty girl. But I didn't like her personality that much. She just wasn't very nice. She was just very bitchy, very difficult. I just... After the first few dates where I, like everything was good, then after that I, I just really didn't enjoy being with her despite how hot she was. Like I, I, it was really my first lesson of like no matter how hot a girl is, you're you're gonna get sick of her if she doesn't treat you well, and that's what happened here. So anyway, uh, Ken was he had a way to get through to the L.A. Times personal ad response number, which is typically a 900 number and costs a lot per minute, but he found a way to get through to it for free. So he was like responding to every single female personal ad on there and saw, you know, just left his phone number to everyone to see who would call him. So one of the girls who called him back was a law student at USC. And for whatever reason, I think what happened is I called him and he was on the phone with her and he just like three-wayed me on. But I ended up on the phone three-way with them. And while it was clear that this girl did not care for Ken very much at all, she just didn't like his personality, she and I got along extremely well on the phone. Now, keep in mind, I had the Alicia Silverstone lookalike girlfriend at the time. So it wasn't like I was going to ask this girl out or or try to date her or anything like that. Uh, I just noticed while we were on the phone two things. One, that me and her got along really, really well, and that I would have been interested if I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. And two... I thought, hmm, this is interesting. I, I kind of wish right now that I, I wasn't with this really hot girl. I, I kind of wish that I wasn't with her and I, I could just go meet this girl and I have no clue what she looks like, who for all I know could be ugly. But, like, that was like kind of a an aha moment for me where I realized how much personality really does matter. But nonetheless, I wasn't going to just dump my girlfriend then and go beat this stranger from the phone. It just it just quickly popped up in my mind. Wow, you know, I, I kind of wish I was single again. Anyway, not surprisingly, the relationship with the hot girl ended in not that long of a time. I think it lasted like seven weeks total. And, uh, of course, I thought back to this phone call. And I thought, hmm, well, now that I'm single again, I, I kind of would like to meet this girl, this USC law student that Ken talked to. I know I'm not stealing anything from Ken because she didn't like him and he didn't really like her very much. But me and her got along really well in this phone call. But it seemed like kind of weird and awkward. Like, like how do I do it? It's now been like a month since we last talked. We only talked that one time. I don't even have her phone number. Um, yes, I could get it from Ken, but like, how do I call her up? Do I call her up and say, hey, I'm the guy who was friends with a guy that you met from a personal ad that you don't talk to anymore and haven't talked to in a month? Um, hey, let's talk again. It just seemed really weird. Like, she never even gave me her phone number. She gave Ken her phone number. Like, it just felt so awkward. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. 
So I thought about it. I discussed it with Ken. Ken kept actually pressing me to call her. He, he wanted me to call her. He had no interest in her, but he wanted me to call her. We didn't know what she looked like. This is back in 94 when you, know, you don't really see pictures of people. It's not like you go on Facebook now and look at people's pictures. And, you know, back in 94, it was different. So, anyway, I got the number from Ken. I nervously made the phone call. I was afraid I was going to be hung up on and told what a creep I was and all that, but I said, hey, what's the worst that can happen? So I did. And to my surprise, she was very, very happy to hear from me. She told me that she had remembered that conversation so well, and in fact, after the conversation we had, told all her friends about it, and how she met a guy from a personal ad that she didn't really like very much over the phone, but that she really liked the guy's friend, but didn't know how to tell this guy that she really really wants to talk to his friend. She said that just a few days before I called her, she came very close to calling Ken and asking for my phone number, but decided that would be weird, and that she couldn't believe that I had been thinking the same thing and wanted to call her. So it sounds like a very sweet story, doesn't it? It sounds like, uh, it sounds like a story you would tell as you're getting married. So what happened to this girl? Did I go out with her? Did we have a long relationship? Did we at least have a first date, which didn't work out as well as we thought? No, no, none of that happened. We never even got to meet. Why? Because Ken masturbated in that shower two years before in 1992. Now, how could these two possibly be related? This girl was not from UCSB, which is where I went to school with Ken. How could she have had any association with Ken on that night masturbating and she never met Ken. How could she even know it was the same Ken? If she did know it was the same Ken, why wouldn't she have realized it while she was talking to him? So how could this have possibly come back to bite me? Well, this is what happened. As I said, she was a law school student. She sat next to a girl. I guess they had assigned seats or whatever, but she sat next to a girl in her one of her classes at law school named Jesse. Yes, the same Jesse. But how did she make the connection? Well, she was so excited about talking to me. She was really, really, really into me. She kept telling me every day how she's never felt this way about someone you know, so quickly before. That she so badly wants to meet me. Etc, etc, etc. So she was excited enough about me to tell her new friend Jesse at school about this wonderful guy named Todd that she talks to on the phone. And mentioned the weird story how she met Todd actually through his friend Ken, who she didn't like that she met from a personal ad. And then Jesse had a horrible thought. Jesse said to her, Hold on a second. I knew a guy named Ken who had a friend named Todd. She says, Was this Ken a, a political science major in college? She said, Yes. Did he go to UCSB? Yes. Did Todd go to UCSB? Yes. Does Ken look like this? Yes. I mean, she hadn't seen Ken, but Ken described himself. They realized it was the same Ken. So Jesse said, I have to tell you a story. Now you might be wondering, how does this hurt me? Because I didn't do it. I wasn't there when it happened. I didn't even know what had happened. Well, as you might imagine, just like the reason I was banned from 2 plus 2 in 2008, guilt by association... So about three days before I was to have a weekend date with this USC law student, 
I called her and she sounded really down, really depressed. I asked her what was wrong. She didn't want to tell me at first. Then she finally told me. She asked if I knew this girl, Jessie. And when she told me her full name, I said, yes, I, I know her, but not too well. She said, did you ever hear about what Ken did in her shower? I said, no, I have no idea. She told me the story. Well, I realized immediately why she was so upset. I realized immediately why this looked bad on me that I was friends with someone like that. So I tried to explain to her, me and Ken are very different. You know, I would never do anything like that. I, I didn't even know about this story. I agree, it's terrible. Like, I, I tried. I tried so hard to distance myself from that situation. But it wasn't working. And while she did not outright tell me that she will not meet me that weekend, our long phone calls, which had been going on every day for the last week or so, maybe even two weeks, this one she excused herself from the call very shortly after telling me the story and said something weird like, well, maybe I'll talk to you sometime. Of course, making no reference to the fact that we had been talking about meeting that upcoming weekend. So I knew how to take a hint. I didn't call her back, and that was that. One of these things I don't care about anymore, but it's kind of a thing I can laugh about now, but I was pissed at the time. So I called Ken, and I asked him about this, and he said, yeah, it was true. And not only that, Ken was actually happy. He wasn't happy that uh, this happened to me, but he was so happy that him masturbating two years ago could have such an effect on something in the present. He just was so fascinated by that. The, you know, While he felt a little bit bad for me of what happened here, that he was so amused by the story and so amused that his masturbation from years ago could have such power in the present that uh, you could tell he actually enjoyed the whole thing and didn't feel all that bad for me. So that was the cum shot heard around the world. Can you believe that? Of all people that girl has to sit next to, it's Jesse. Unbelievable. How do these things happen to me? How do they happen to me? Never got to see what that girl looked like. Someone just said in the chat, actually Josie just said it, she was probably fat anyway. <laughs> you know, this is what I would do. Is I, I met a lot of girls from party lines and computer bulletin boards and stuff back in those days when there were no pictures and I would have them describe themselves and I, I was very good at sniffing out liars it was very hard to fool me like I'd eventually pick up on subtle things that would indicate whether or not the person's telling the truth Lou Father saying in the chat Druff you got cock blocked by a beat off session two years prior yes I did that's exactly what happened uh, so anyway, from the description she gave, my gut feeling was that she was average looking. Like, not hot, not ugly, but average looking. But like, good enough to where I would have been attracted enough to her, to where I would have liked her, given our personalities still clicking like they were. Because we really got along extremely well. And we had a lot in common. So like, I, I wasn't even expecting her to be beautiful. Like, like, average would have been totally fine. And that's kind of the vibe I was getting from her, that she was kind of average looking. Maybe she's a little better, maybe a little bit worse, but somewhere around there. That was my guess. Uh, let's let's call up Ken, though, get his reaction to this. Especially, I bet he hasn't thought of this story in a long time. I guarantee he'll remember it, though. Let's call Ken. Hopefully he answers the 
not him, but I hope Stephanie answers the phone. And I'll try to keep a, a short leash on Stephanie here so where she doesn't uh, ruin the show, as she sometimes does when we call Ken. But unfortunately, they're kind of a package deal unless he calls from a payphone. try with a little bit later. I think I may have let it get too late here. They sometimes go to sleep earlier than you'd expect, though. It's, it is Friday night, but it is almost 11 o'clock. And I'll try again a little bit later. Let's talk about the last topic in the meantime. Let's talk about something that is falling. Something that is worth less right now than it was at the beginning of the show. I think I have... A, I think I think you know what I'm talking about here. We are talking about the wonderful world of Bitcoin. The question is, how low can Bitcoin go? The answer is, I don't know. It could be pretty damn low. If Bitcoins have slipped, they were in the 800s at one point during the show near the beginning. It was like 784 when we started the show. Broke over 800 right now. Mount Gox showing it at 710. It has not gotten lower than 650 in quite some time. 650 was the low for today. But this is not a good sign for Bitcoin. As it's far off its 1200 level that it was just a few days ago. I mean, how sick is this? You buy bitcoins for twelve hundred bucks a few days ago. Now they're worth seven hundred. I mean, this is like a super, super volatile stock. That's what this is like. I mean, it's just so nuts to be trading this thing. This is like a gambler's dream, I guess. Bitcoin, not gambling with them, but gambling on them. All right. So let's talk about why this is happening. Uh, here's an article about the situation in China. And this is what's being blamed on why uh, Bitcoin's falling. Because Bitcoin's very big in China. Uh, Baidu Inc., China's top search engine, stopped accepting Bitcoins after China's central bank barred financial institutions from handling transactions, triggering a drop in the virtual currency's value. Bitcoin is down about 20% on Bitcoin China, the most active online exchange for the digital money is traded for China's currency. Baidu is no longer accepting Bitcoins after a subsidiary stopped accepting or started accepting digital money on October 14th as the virtual currency gained popularity in China, fueling a gro- global rally. The price of Bitcoins topped $1000 last week, while 2 months ago it was $138. The rally began losing steam after the People's Bank of China said this week that Bitcoin isn't a currency with real meaning and does not have the same legal status. So, China really has a lot of power in the situation. 
people have been looking at the U.S. like, you know, what's the U.S. going to do to interfere in Bitcoin? But China can do a lot too because it's very popular there. And remember, Bitcoin's value is directly tied to what people think it's worth. It does not have any kind of real value. It's not like a house or a car that always has some kind of real value. This does not. This only has value of what people are going to pay for it. This really only has value in the belief that it can be used to either buy things or trade for real money. And once that goes away, then its value will plummet. I've been saying this the whole time. In some ways, I've looked foolish as it keeps going up and up, but that doesn't mean this is not going to be the inevitable end. I shouldn't say complete end of Bitcoin, but uh, end of Bitcoin as we know it, to where it will crash down uh, and become worth much less, or just fall out of general popularity, or become so regulated that it no longer has the same allure that it once did. The article goes on to say, Baidu's website platform decided to suspend Bitcoin payment acceptance from Friday as recent large fluctuations in Bitcoin's value makes it unable to safeguard users' interests, the company said in a statement on its website today. And that's actually the biggest problem with Bitcoin. That's, That's one of the biggest flaws in Bitcoin, in that merchants cannot really accept it, because once a merchant accepts Bitcoin for payment, they are becoming Bitcoin speculators themselves. It's very simple. Let's say I owe you $1,000. Forget that. I owe you $10,000. And let's say Bitcoin at the moment is trading at $1,000 per coin. So instead of handing you $10,000 cash, I say, hey, I'm going to give you 10 Bitcoins. They're worth $10,000. So I'll give you this instead. Now, once you accept those Bitcoins, if you don't cash them out immediately and you hold on to them, now you are a Bitcoin trader. Now, you are someone who will gain or lose according to where Bitcoin goes, whether it rises or falls. Now, in this example, at least, you as an individual can quickly go cash it out and not suffer much either way. But for businesses, they it's not practical for them to constantly cash out their Bitcoins. So, even if they can tie the price to Bitcoin of, of some market... Like it's also hard to price merchandise. You say such and such is 0.1 of a bitcoin. What if a bitcoin goes up and down? Then you've got they've had to adjust their price. But even if they find a way to tie this to some kind of online market, uh, they still have the problem. Once they get paid, they have to unload the bitcoins qu- quickly unless uh, they want to become bitcoin speculators themselves. And businesses don't like this. Businesses really like predictability. Businesses like knowing how much they are getting paid for their goods and services. They don't like having to speculate with currency. That's just not what businesses like doing. So that's why there's been very slow adoption of Bitcoin. Otherwise, it would be much more widely accepted. In some ways, Bitcoin could be very good in that it could be an easy way to pay for things on the Internet and an easy way to pay for things anonymously. The other problem with Bitcoin is that it's still not easy to use. It's still pretty tough for the novice computer user to use Bitcoin. You have to have some understanding of Bitcoin itself to use it. It's not very simple. It's not like using a credit card. But uh, that that has nothing to do with why the Bitcoin value has been falling. So the article goes on to say, uh, the Chinese Central Bank said the public is free to participate in Internet transactions provided they take on the risks themselves. 
The bank's ban on financial institutions handling Bitcoin transactions reflects concern about the risk the digital currency may pose to China's capital controls and financial stability after a surge in trading this year made the country the world's biggest trader of Bitcoin. So China just doesn't want uh, its banks to be holding a lot of Bitcoin and the whole thing crashes and it causes a big problem for the country. I, I understand. China's saying, hey, look, you want to take it all on yourself and become rich or poor through Bitcoin, you go ahead and do it. Just don't, we don't want our banks dealing with it. So, since then, the Bitcoin market has not been the same, and currently we're sitting at 691 as I'm broadcasting this at 11 p.m. on Friday night. And maybe by the time you hear this, if you're listening in the archives, maybe it will be down to 500 or 400. The question is, when do you buy in? My girlfriend, who's been following this too, not as much as I have, but she's she's very aware of the Bitcoin and the whole thing, and uh, she knows that I've considered getting in the whole Bitcoin trading thing myself. She said, "What is the maximum Bitcoin value where you would buy in?" And I said, "I don't really know." What she was trying to ask is like, "What's the most you would pay for a Bitcoin?" And I was thinking about it, and I said, well, it's hard to tell, and this could change, but right now I was kind of thinking like around 600. We're in the 600s. We are in the 600s right now. But I said the more important thing is that I'm convinced it is stabilized. Because if it's falling, you don't know where it's going to stop falling, unless you can see the future. And you never want to get in on any investment while it's free-falling, because it's impossible to tell when the end of the freefall is. You have to wait till the freefall stops, and then you can try to get in on that point when it seems to be stabilizing or going back up. Now, I've thought about this, and you guys can comment if you want. You can call in or you can comment in the chat room. I've come up with what I think might be a good investment strategy with Bitcoin. I have observed that Bitcoin's behavior is it runs up for a while. Then it gets to a certain point and it either crashes or stagnates and then crashes. But you always get a crash. If you think about it, the first big run-up is when it went all the way to like 250 from like 18. But then it crashed back down pretty quickly as low as 66 before stabilizing around 100. Then we had a, a pretty consistent run-up all the way to 1,200, which crashed back down to around uh, 800. Or actually, it went to, down to 900, then back to 1,200, then down to 800, then back to 1,200, then hovered around 1,000, now down to 6-something, six 683 right now as we're speaking. But what I've noticed is that when it hits the bottom of its current crash, and when I say current, I don't just mean the one right now, I mean the ones that have happened before. It has a crash, it goes down, 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 without little rise back up. But it goes down, 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 down. And then, then it pops back up. And once it starts popping back up, I've noticed it always goes back up substantially. It doesn't always stay back up. It sometimes crashes back down again. 
But the thing is, once you see it going back up, it tends to keep going up for at least a little while. So for example, it's still falling right now. I'm seeing it at 669. Let's say it goes all the way down to a bottom of 620. And then starts rising. And then you see it go up to 650, 680, 710. Well, when you see it rise back that much... I would say like when it gets from 620, if it goes back from 620 to 680, say, or maybe 620 to 700. Usually there it's going to keep rising. That is, it doesn't have small recovery rises. It seems that when it recovers, it recovers substantially before falling again or stabilizing. So seeing that by just looking at it historically, and I, I guess I could see if this is just anecdotal by looking at a graph, because there, is, there are historical graphs of Bitcoin values all over the place. But if this is true, if this is accurate what I'm saying, which I believe it to be, this would mean that you just wait for it to bottom out. You don't know where it's going to bottom out, but you just watch really closely. When it bottoms out and starts to rise back up, and the rise seems to be a real rise, not just a, a temporary rise for, uh, you know, for example, you wouldn't buy in if it goes to 620 and the next trades it's, uh, are, are at 635. But if it went to like 680 or 700, then you believe it. So then you buy in, and then you wait until it starts to fall again. And from what it's been doing so far, you could end up making 50% or more just watching historically in the last few months what's been happening. And the big difference here than just a typical buy low, sell high strategy, which sounds like is what I'm saying, but it's not. It's a little more complicated than that, is that Bitcoin does not seem to have small comebacks. It seems to have big comebacks followed by either stabilization temporarily or another crash. So it looks like it's not that hard to identify the low points because once it starts going back up, it's pretty easy to tell it's starting to go back up. The way I've noticed this is when I see it falling and then start to rise again, I get this like feeling like, oh, it's coming back. And not like a psychic feeling or anything, or not like a gut feeling. I mean like just a, a feeling like, oh, I see this, I've seen this before. It's risen back enough now to where I think this is another recovery. And it always has been. Now, someone pointed out on the forum where I posted about this that what I would be doing here would be good to make small amounts of money, but eventually I would be decimated by a big crash. Kind of like a reverse martingale betting system. Actually, not reverse, an actual martingale betting system. But I don't think so, and the reason is this. Let's say this strategy is failing and you do have the unfortunate situation where it goes down to something like, say, 600. You buy in. It's risen back to like 680. You buy in then, but then it falls back down. You're not going to instantly lose all your money because you can sell pretty quickly. If you're right on the ball, I mean, if you go to sleep for a while with your bitcoins, you may wake up and it's, it's worth a fraction of the value. But if you're actively watching it, you can get rid of them pretty quickly. Even though there have been crashes, they have not been like 
blink and you miss it crashes. These are crashes that happen in a matter of hours or days rather than ones that happen in a matter of minutes. So if this is not working, you can bail out for what I think would be a small loss. You just have to be willing to take a loss in some spots where this happens. But I'm actually considering trying this myself. Probably not with a gigantic sum of money, but maybe a few thousand bucks I'll play with here. So, now keep in mind I'm not giving this as advice to you to do the same. What you do with your own money is your choice. I will admit that I'm not an expert on this. This is just an idea I had. I'm just throwing out here. You do it at your own risk. If you lose all your money doing this, don't blame me. I'm serious. This is not foolproof. You could easily lose money doing this. This is just an idea I had from observing the way Bitcoins have been trading. This is something I've observed, just that I seem to be able to pinpoint when a low has hit. And I can pinpoint that by watching it start to go back up. So, I think there is money to be made in this sort of thing. If you think the market might be smarter than you, well, some people in the market might be smarter than you, but a lot of them aren't. And if you need proof of that, look at the people who invested in poker by proxy, mostly Bitcoin people. There's a lot of suckers investing in Bitcoin right now, dealing with Bitcoin right now. Now, there is a legitimate fear that there are some very smart people, very crafty people, and very uh, manipulative people that are manipulating the Bitcoin market. That they are forcing the market to go up and down. People who are well bankrolled, that are putting in excess buy and excess sell orders to try to either cause the price to run up or cause the price to run down. And that very advanced financial people have been pulling the strings with this run up and run back down the whole way. They've controlled it and they've made a ton of money doing so. And while people like us are just trying to look at the numbers and guess at where it's uh, going up and going down based on past behavior, these people are the ones actually controlling it happening. And that's not far-fetched at all. This is really a very, very unregulated area. And where there's unregulated areas, there's abuse when there's a lot of money at stake. Look at online poker. Look how much abuse there has been in online poker of our money. Look at Full Till. Look at UB. There was this abuse because there was no regulation. There's no regulation of Bitcoin. There's a ton of money in Bitcoin now. It's no longer just a little game being played with, uh, you know, among computer nerds. This is now a big thing. This is a really big thing. It is being covered by major news organizations everywhere. All around the world. Major governments are getting very involved now in managing Bitcoin. You see, the Chinese government has already taken steps here. There's a lot of money in Bitcoin now. If you do it right, you can really make a lot. This could be one of these things that... I mean, forget the people who may have hoarded them back when they were $5 each and are unexpectedly rich now if they, if they held on. I'm not talking about those people. 
I'm saying like in the future you may look at this and say, wow, there's a lot of opportunity to make money off suckers here and I didn't do it. Kind of like poker back in the poker boom days. Back in 05, 06, 04, you know, just going online to these sites and playing higher mid-limits and having horrible competition. Horrible competition where you're just a decent player and, and if you manage your bankroll properly and game select properly, you can win. You can win a lot of money without even being a great player. I wonder if we'll look back on Bitcoin like this. Bitcoin will not be like this forever. Bitcoin will either become irrelevant or it will become regulated in some way. There's just too many reasons that Bitcoin will not remain what it is. Let's look at the chat room here. First thing I see in the chat room, I am naked on a leather couch. My vagina keeps sticking to it. Glad there's a lot of good conversation about Bitcoin there. That's that's a real commentary in the chat from Josie. See anything about Bitcoin? Bitcoin just hit 658 again, according to uh, Darkstar. JSTAF saying cash out a uh, where'd that go? Just scroll off. Cash out a million with bitcoins and telling the wrong person you can uh, keep scrolling out. Damn chat keeps scrolling off. You can think you can think out with it, think getting paid a percentage from the IRS. Oh, I see what he's saying. JSTAF saying that if you cash out a, a million dollars of bitcoin, if you let's say you got lucky enough to make a million bucks in bitcoin, uh, someone could report you to the IRS and. Uh, get a percentage of what the IRS gets as a settlement. Because the IRS, they do give rewards to people who report tax cheats if the IRS ends up collecting from the tax cheats based upon those reports. But before you go reporting your enemies and hope to get money for it, realize this. The IRS requires very specific and verifiable information, not just rumors. You can't say, I heard this guy cashed out a million dollars of Bitcoin and didn't pay his taxes. You actually have to show them the proof. And I have a feeling like forum posts probably wouldn't be proof. The reason they do this is because they don't want tax reporting free rollers. Because if you think about it, given their incentive program to report tax cheats, you could just start reporting a thousand random people, call them all tax cheats, and as long as one of them actually ends up cheating on their taxes, uh, you'll get money for it. So, in order not to waste the IRS's time with false reports hoping to get rich off it, uh, they require real documentation to prove what you're saying. They also are aware of the fact that people like to report each other as a form of revenge, but without really any knowledge that there's any kind of tax cheating happening such as um, you know, an ex-business partner or an ex-wife of someone who thinks that you know, the person that they were once with was, was cheating on their taxes but doesn't know for sure and just says, oh, I would check into them if I were you. But they don't want to waste their time with that unless they, they have concrete information for sure it's happening. But let me, uh, let me try to call Ken again. 
If anybody wants to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, or 702-430-1808. I hope you guys appreciate a day off of oral surgery. I'm doing this damn show here for all these all these hours, and I'm speaking by myself without even a co-host. Even with the, the Norcos in my system, it hurts. My cheek hurts, actually. That's what hurts the most. Yeah, they're not going to answer. We're running bad with phone calls tonight. No question. All right. I have to admit, I'm uh, I'm about worn out here. Covered everything I need to cover. I think I will get myself all ready to buy some bitcoins, though, because I I think another bottoming out is coming soon, if not has already happened. Um, I, I think people don't quite know how to handle the fallout from the whole China thing and I think that's why it's been crashing but there's a lot of people like me who are looking to jump in that wished they jumped in when they saw it at 1200 and were afraid to jump in at that point for good reason and we're saying oh, if it goes down to half of this I'm going to jump in Like I bet there's a lot of people that jump in if it falls to like 600 but I'm not saying to buy a 600. I'm saying to wait until it stops crashing. And then when it seems to be either stable or going back up, jump in. But again, this is all on you. Do not put this on me if you lose a lot of money here. Do not get mad at me say, Druff, you were wrong. Druff, I trusted you. Nothing to trust here. I'm not an expert on this. This is just my shot in the dark. Not a cum shot in the dark. Just a shot in the dark. And I, I just don't want to have it where I, I look back and say, you know what, I knew how I could make a lot of money on this, and I didn't. I just didn't do it for some reason. It's kind of like, you know, like in uh, the early 90s, I had a discussion with a friend about buying up .com sites of commonly used English words .com. We talked about doing it and then didn't. It would have been $50 each at the time, per year. I, w- I got sick when I saw business.com sold for $7.5 million. Now, I wasn't going to buy business.com. I hadn't thought of that one yet, but like I would have bought a lot of dot-coms that I could have sold for a lot of money, and I, I didn't do any of them. I had the idea, just didn't do it. Uh, another thing I regret is that I was not a heads-up bum hunter in Limit Hold'em. There's a lot of money to be made by just sitting there all day waiting for fish to sit with you heads up and only play the fish. A lot of people I know in the Limit Hold'em community made a lot of money from this. And I just didn't have the patience for it. I wanted to play my 6-max games. and I found a lot of good 6-max games. I made a lot of money in those, but I, I could have made so much more if I just did the heads up bum hunting too I just I just hated just sitting there and not playing 
So I don't want to regret this, but I don't want to be stupid either. I don't want to invest in something, a lot of money, and watch it go down the toilet. But I'm willing to give it a shot, and uh, maybe I'll do it in a way where I'm like banking whatever money I'm making and then just reinvesting parts of what I've made. So even if the whole thing crashes, I end up ahead when the whole thing's done. Something like that. But I, I think there is money to be made here. It's just, it, it's been so volatile, and I said, if you could just get a handle on the volatility and, and figure out where's the high and where's the low, you could make a lot on this. A lot more than the stock market, which doesn't fluctuate like this. So, I mean, look at this. Think of the stocks you own, if you own any stocks. If your stock goes up 10% in one day, you, you feel like throwing a party. I mean, that that's a huge rise, typically. Look what Bitcoin is doing. Look how quickly it goes up and down. It's just, it's obscene. It's like the stock market on steroids. Where will it be next time when we do this show on December 20th? December 16th, sorry, not in 20 anything. December 16th is the next show at 7 p.m. Pacific. Who knows where Bitcoin will be then? But maybe I will own some Bitcoins by then. Maybe I will have made or lost money on Bitcoin by then. We don't know. But, uh... Take a look at Bitcoin and what it's been doing. I think it's fascinating. Kind of history being made before our eyes. One day, 20 years from now, you'll hear people talking about the crazy Bitcoin market of 2013 and 2014. So, keep in mind, we will not be back until December 16th. There is no show this upcoming Tuesday. There's no show on any Tuesday for the remainder of 2013. One more show this year, and then we take a break. But, you might still be able to hear radio on this site, because Beer and Poker, Lou Father, I know they do the variety, No Sobriety show... They did that on Tuesday in place of this show. And they'll probably fire it up a few times before the year's over. And maybe China Maniac will do another show. Maybe even Brandon will come back and do another show. Brandon joined the Variety No Sobriety show, for those of you that did not hear. That's in the archives in the user section. You can find that on iTunes, too, by the way, the user radio shows. So, you'll have radio to listen to, even if it's not my voice. And I will be on the forum, just won't have time for a radio show, so you can interact with me there. I'm not leaving completely. But I am leaving completely for tonight. Thank you for listening. And I will see you in 10 days for the final show of 2013. Thank you, Belly Buster, and the rest of those donating to the free roll. And shalom.